Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black Talk. Intersections between environmental health and justice and the Black Lives Matter movement may not be obvious, but many staff at CEH have been talking about our work in environmental health and our support of the environmental justice movement in the context of the Black Lives Matter movement. And so today we hear from three CEH staff about their experiences of race and environmental justice. My name is Tenye Steele, and I am the Executive Assistant to the Eastern States Director at CEH, and that's at the New York office. I identify uh, with the African-American community. Um, My mother and father were both um, born in the southern states of the country in North Carolina, and I was raised partly in the northern states of New York, and I spent a lot of my life uh, in my childhood growing up in the southern states in North Carolina, growing up in school there. Growing up here in New York, I grew up in a very urban environment uh, in Brooklyn, New York, and I didn't have much encounter with members of a different race or a different culture. I mean, we were all, you know, mostly African-American Hispanics, and we lived actually in a housing development in Brooklyn, New York. And when I left New York at an early age, I would say about the age of seven is when I began the back and forth between New York and North Carolina. And when I left New York, and I'm now in the southern states of North Carolina, although it was still predominantly African-American, but now it's it had a little bit more mix to it, and there were other white residents and white students in the school, and I mean, it, it did feel a little bit uncomfortable. I, I can't recall any deliberate or outright um, occurrences against me, but just being in a a new or str- what felt strange initially in environment did bring a little bit of discomfort. Next, they each shared some examples of environmental justice problems they've seen in their lives. Have you ever heard the statistic that uh, blacks and Hispanics are more susceptible to, say, cancer, or blacks and Hispanics are more susceptible to diabetes or heart disease? And I I like to say, oh, so blacks and Hispanics are more susceptible to everything from A to Z. And I used to ask myself, well, why is that? You know, like I, I used to think to myself, it can't be some some type of genetic defect because deep down in 
you know, deep down at the bottom of it biologically, we're all pretty similar, you know. Right. Uh, we're just different configurations of gene patterns. Um, yep. So then I would say, well, well, what is it that caused blacks and Hispanics to be more susceptible to every disease that you can think of? And, well, the answer to that is not because of some genetic defect. It's because you will find that blacks, Latinos, Native Americans, and any other minority population of color or poor population are more likely to live or work in areas of a polluted and hazardous environment. And the, the, the consequences are really dire. There's a case in North Carolina um, back in 1982 when uh, the state of North Carolina uh, in Warren County, they chose this poor mainly African-American community as the site of a toxic waste landfill to dispose PCBs. And I've worked around PCBs as a chemist for many years, so I know uh, how toxic and, and how toxic of a substance and how hazardous that substance is. But back in 1982, these PCBs were dumped along the highway, illegally dumped along the highway, uh, within 14 counties in North Carolina, but for whatever particular reason, this one county, Warren County, which happened to be an African-American county, was the, the, the place chosen uh, for this waste disposal landfill of PCBs. And, I mean, there seems to always be a selection of certain poor racial minority communities as sites for toxic waste disposal and polluting facilities. There's this uh, researcher, Dr. Robert Bullard. To us, he's like the grandfather of environmental justice movement. And he did a study where he examined the siting patterns. Um, I believe it was in Houston, Texas. And he studied and he did some mapping and he saw how the siting patterns of waste dump facilities like he found that it wasn't just a random selection of of, of land scattered over Houston. Um, it, instead, it was located in repeatedly in, in predominantly black communities near schools. And what's ironic is, say for instance, the city of Houston, they had a total of uh, five incinerators, toxic a toxic facility incinerator. Four of them were located in predominantly black neighborhoods. And the fifth one, well, it was located in a predominantly Hispanic neighborhood. And so what he found that it wasn't random and it was somewhat deliberate and premeditated. And, and we see those occurrences over and over again. So once he gets settled into the podium, we will listen in live here on NFL Network with Beast Mode. Let me do my time start. Oh, it started? Well, then let me start. Hey, I'm just here so I don't get fined. So y'all can sit here and ask me all the questions y'all want to. I'm going to answer with the same answer. So y'all can shoot if y'all please. I know you like the way I'm freaking it. I talk with slang and I but never stop speaking it. That's just the way that I talk, yo. Oh. This conversation about the sound of public radio caught our attention. What do you hear the voices of those journalists? What do you hear? I hear um, middle-aged white dudes who sound like they just drank some really warm coffee. That's A.D. Carson talking with his friend Chenjirai Kumanyika. 
Kumanyika loves public radio. Carson, not so much. Like, it, it sounds like the whole joint is, is, is recorded in the back of Barnes & Noble. That exchange was part of an essay Kumanyika posted this month on the public radio website Transom. It was called Vocal Color in Public Radio. We invited him to share his thoughts and tell us about his experience last summer at a Transom workshop when he got a turn at the microphone. My piece was about a fisherman who manages the tuna club of Avalon. But while editing my script aloud, I realized I was also imagining another voice, one that sounded more white, saying my piece. Without being directly told, people like me learn that our way of speaking isn't professional, and you start to imitate the standard or even hide the distinctive features of your own voice. This is one of the reasons that some of my black and brown friends refuse to listen to some of my favorite radio shows, despite my most passionate efforts. This really affected me as I was producing my transom piece. Sometimes I speak in the voice I'm using right now, but as a hip-hop artist, I use a very different voice. Check out this verse I wrote right after I found out that no one would be indicted for Eric Garner's death. I can't breathe, hear my brother dying. Every day another name, another mother crying, oh Lord. So the question is, how can I bring that kind of voice into my efforts as a radio producer, right? Now compare that to how I sounded on my first piece for the Transom Workshop. For John, losing a fish is no small thing. Because John is a fisherman with a capital F. Fisherman with a capital F. What does that even mean? So what bothers me most is the way I'm inhabiting my own personality. My voice sounds too high and all the rounded corners of my slang are squared off. It's like I don't even recognize myself. It's like, who am I? Well, just as an experiment, I re-recorded part of that piece to see how a relaxed, sort of less code switch style of narration might sound. You see, what you might not understand is that for John, losing a fish is no small thing. John is a real fisherman. I mean, this guy's caught hundreds of fish in his lifetime. I'm not sure how much more effective it is, but I feel better listening to it. My voice is calmer, but hopefully not boring. Overall, it's like I feel more centered. I sound more like myself rather than myself pretending to be a public radio host. Of course, it's not just about what potential journalists face. It's also about the audience and the mission of public radio. Different hosts with different voices tell different kinds of stories. And vocal styles communicate important dimensions of human experience. What are we missing out on by not hearing the full range of those voices? Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. My wife and I spent some time in Ferguson, Missouri in August and November of 2014. I was standing on the block where Darren Wilson killed Michael Brown. And I asked one young man why he thought there had been such an uprising in Ferguson. He reminded me that Michael Brown's body had laid in the street for four and a half hours before being picked up. Of course, I had heard this before in the news, but this young brother made me feel it. No one was there to translate. Instead, he carefully told the story his own way. I felt the weight of Michael Brown's body and the weight of so many other young lives in this young man's voice. So what do we do? We really have to think about who is the public in public media. The demographics of race and ethnicity are changing in the United States. The sound of public media must reflect that diversity. So get on it. It's time to make moves. That's Chindrai Kumanyika. He's an assistant professor in Clemson University's Communications Studies Department. And we want to hear what you think about this, so we started a conversation on Twitter. You can join in by using and following the hashtag PubRadioVoice. Little brother, I heard y'all ain't hitting in New York. Word. Word. I heard y'all ain't hitting in L.A. Word. 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 
I heard y'all ain't hitting in North Carolina. What? Uh, well, uh, well, well, in 1979, a clash between members of white supremacist groups and protesters left five dead in Greensboro. The event gained widespread national attention. And now, decades later, a committee is trying to install a roadside marker that would commemorate the event. But the wording of that marker has caused some controversy. Joe Killian is a reporter for the News and Record in Greensboro, and he's been covering this all. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. So remind us, what happened in 1979? Well, it was sort of a culmination of events. There was a group called the Communist Workers' Party, um, which had, uh, among other things, been trying to get together unions and textile mills down here. They were also opposing activity by the KKK to do some recruiting in the area. And as part of this, they confronted a KKK meeting and recruiting drive in China Grove, North Carolina, uh, burned a Confederate flag that was theirs, and began to leaflet and flyer challenges to the KKK to meet them and and physically fight them. Um, And they held what was called a Death to the Klan rally in Morningside Homes, which was a largely black, uh, low-income housing project here in Greensboro. Um, And that morning... A group of Klansmen and neo-Nazis showed up in a caravan of nine cars and shot five people and injured ten and uh, ended up having something of a shootout because there were also some Communist Worker Party members who were armed as well. And there were a number of news outlets there. I mean, we actually have kind of video footage of this, what seems to be just a terrible event. Yeah, there were there were uh, news cameras there, television cameras and, and newspaper cameras. It was uh, people people everybody except for the police seemed to be ready to capture it. Greensboro has gone over the years has gone through a lot of Greensboro over the years has gone through much trouble to try to make amends or try to reconcile the events of that day. Now, nearly forty years later, there's a committee that's trying to put up a marker to commemorate this event. Can you describe what's going on with with this marker? Yeah, this is a this is part of the Department of Transportation. They uh, put up historical markers. People can apply for them. And uh, one of the people who organized the Death of the Klan rally that day, Nelson Johnson, who's now a reverend here in Greensboro, um, his group, the Beloved Community Center, applied for a marker uh, for this. And on the marker, they asked that it be titled the Greensboro Massacre, which is sort of a popular way that's come to be known. And that is very controversial because some people feel as though that word massacre is part of a campaign by the communist workers, party folks, uh, to uh, appear to be, uh, you know, I mean, they certainly were victims. They, they were killed. But to appear to be more innocent in the in the clash than they actually were, and they also feel that the wording, which is just 25 words, uh, it's about the same number of characters as a tweet, doesn't tell the whole story behind what happened and who was really responsible. And these are these markers. We see them all over the state. They're on the side of the road. They stand on a pole. They're kind of bronze-looking or brown-looking, and, and they tell about historical events. Yeah, exactly. And actually, Greensboro has more of those than do comparably-sized cities. So we, we, we were very familiar with them here. So once the proposal for the word Greensboro Massacre came out, what happened next? Did, did public officials speak out against this? Well, you know, the, the committee that is proposing this marker doesn't actually need the permission of the Greensboro City Council, but they would prefer to have it. They, their uh, 
sort of informal rule is not to put a marker up if the city government opposes it because they realize there are some events in history that are still very controversial. So during a discussion in the Greensboro City Council, there were a number of city council members who said, you know, this is still a very controversial thing. This marker doesn't tell the whole story of it, and, and we really don't need to dredge back up these really dark days in Greensboro's history. There are at least two city council members who wrote letters of support for the marker, so they obviously feel the other way. And what is the suggestion? If it won't say Greensboro Massacre, do these city council members who are kind of speaking up about their unhappiness of what the marker says now have other ideas? Do they think that a marker should go up? Uh, yeah, there's actually nobody, I don't think, left. There's no one left on the council who thinks there shouldn't be a marker. They'd prefer to see it called a shootout or a shooting uh, rather than a massacre. Um, there are some people who make the point that they believe that without the an antagonization of the uh, Communist Workers' Party in the first place and, and literally issuing a challenge for a fight, it wouldn't have happened. And since they were armed with handguns, at least one shotgun, that this was more of a shootout than it was a one-sided massacre. So what are the next steps? Well, what will happen now is, actually, j just just yesterday afternoon, the city received a letter from the Beloved Community Center, the group that is proposing um, the marker to the state, saying that they would prefer that massacre remain. So the committee itself has got to come to some consensus as to whether they're going to alter this language. If they can come to some consensus and change the language that is now on there from massacre to something else, probably a marker will be up by April. If they can't, then they're going to have to do a, a, an in-person meeting of the committee to hash it out, which will probably happen in the summer. Um, and right now, the Greensboro City Council will vote on what they support on February 3rd. Well, thank you very much for speaking with me about it. No problem. Joe Killian is a reporter with the Greensboro News and Record. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. North Carolina! North Carolina! North Carolina. Well, for nearly a century, an academic hall at the UNC campus at Chapel Hill has been named for a man who once led the Ku Klux Klan in this state. And today, students rallied to have that name permanently removed from campus. The building is named for William Saunders, a UNC graduate in the 19th century who went on to become Secretary of State. WRL's Brian Mims has followed the story all week, and he's live in Chapel Hill now with the update. Brian? Deborah, more than 200 people, students mostly, gathered a short ways from the iconic Old Well. This is an old university, founded in 1789. Buildings are named for various figures from long ago, but these protesters say some names are best left to history. UNC calls for Hurston Hall! They made a grand entrance, chanting and carrying signs. No to hatred, no to the KKK, reads one. And they assembled at the Silent Sam statue, where their voices roared. Let us be clear now, it stands for white supremacy. White supremacy. She's speaking of the statue, which depicts a rifle-bearing Confederate soldier looking north. Organizers of this rally, the real Silent Sam coalition, want a plaque installed to, as they say, put the statue in context. And they want the Saunders name erased from this building that houses UNC's geography department. I am sick and tired of being psychologically attacked. It's named for William Saunders, a graduate and Confederate colonel who organized the state's Ku Klux Klan. As a geography major, Tron Nguyen attends classes in that building. I think that's, he represents 
a dark history and it embodies everyone here and it follows me. You know, it's not just about black, it's colored life. And I, I don't feel like we should celebrate something like that. Student Tasia Harris sees a struggle that spreads beyond Saunders Hall. It's hard to be a student here when everything around you is telling you don't belong here. So it's not just Saunders Hall to you? No, it's not just Saunders Hall. It's the student store. It's Cameron Avenue. It's car building. It's this monument right here. UNC does have a policy on changing the names of buildings, but it stresses caution, saying social customs and standards for naming buildings change over time. It says naming should not be altered simply because later observers would have made different judgments. Students in our minds have already changed the name of that building, so it's really up to the university to listen to their students and change it. UNC Chancellor Carol Folt did send a written statement this week about the protesters' grievances. She said the Board of Trustees is taking a close look at this and that Carolina's history is inextricably linked to difficult issues of class and race. Deborah? Brian, I'm wondering, since this building had its name since 1922, why are the students protesting now? Actually, this is really nothing new. Students have been protesting for the last couple of decades to get the building's name changed, and they vow to keep fighting until it happens. Brian Mims, live in Chapel Hill. If I, if I was white, then I'd be better off. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Don't think about it too much, too much, too much, too much. There's no need for us to rush us through. Oh, don't think about it too much, too much, too much, too much. A group of students at Mount Allison University say that racism is rampant at their school and not enough is being done to stop it. CBC went to Sackville and sat down with four members of the group called Black Students for Advocacy, Awareness and Togetherness, or BSAT. Lauren Davis, Michaela Van Blarkham, Miata Christopher and Rennell John. They all spoke with the CBC's Dennis Kalman and he started by asking them what caused them to speak out. Some members of the campus community, it was during Halloween, they dressed up as the Jamaican Bobsled team. I think it was a couple of them were white and they put on blackface and they were out on campus property. They were out in the community, so a lot of people saw them. The administration was alerted and they dealt with it in private. However, members of BSAT saw the images, saw the people in person and brought it to our attention. And we decided to talk to the administration to see what was, if the administration dealt with it. And yes, they did when we spoke with them, but they only gave them like a sensitivity training session. The administration was doing damage control when they gave them the sensitivity training. It wasn't for, we know what you did was wrong and we want you to know what you did was wrong. We want an apology. It was like, we know, we understand what you did was wrong and we're going to try to cover it so it seems to be that we care even though we don't mm -hmm. necessarily care. And I do feel that the um, administration does not care to the extent that they should if people from a more socially dominant culture or ethnic group were being oppressed, which isn't doesn't happen. But mm -hmm. since we are such a small group, and also since other minorities in the campus are such a small group, um, if people leave from the group, no one really notices why they left or that they left because of racial... I don't know if the administration realizes how many students actually 
have considered leaving or actually are planning on leaving and have left. And, you know, that, that affects your school when someone asks you, oh, you know, what's more analysis? Like, why did you leave? But I left because there was so much racism on campus. And I've thought about it more than once leaving this campus just because of that, you know, one thing, racism. And so I'm just curious, like you, uh, like I think all of you have said, this issue hasn't been dealt with seriously enough. Is there concrete actions that you guys would like to see taken that aren't being taken? Yeah, we've, um, we've been in contact with the administration. One of the big things that keeps coming up is the sensitivity training, not only for um, people who are in residence, but an, admin- an administration, but professors. Because, I mean, you guys are supposed to be educated, you know, if you're PhDs and all that, but some of the things that come out of their mouths on this campus is absolutely, it's shocking. It's absolutely shocking. And, you know, I'm not going to say any examples or call anybody out, but... I'm yeah. telling you, it's shocking. And it's like, you know, you have all this education and you're supposed to be aware, but... And you're supposed to set an example for students, too. If they hear you say this as a professor, then they're going to believe you. They're going to think mm-hmm. those same things. And there's so many of them. Like, it's not yeah. just one professor I'm talking about. I'm talking about eight out of the ten courses that I've taken, professors that are just... They say these really inappropriate things. And nobody speaks up because, you know, the dominant culture doesn't really understand that it's an issue for like the minority groups so quite a few people were actually standing behind the people who were in blackface a lot of people were totally for it like you know it's just a joke lighten up the apology was very it was written with no taste it was Mm -hmm. written i probably could have written a better apology if i had five minutes in what they and uh, did everybody, like, did the public see the original letter? No, that wasn't seen at all. So they all think that, oh, wonderful apology and, you know, get over it. Why didn't people see the original letter? Because it was so distasteful. Like, it would have been disgusting to even print it. You know, we asked the administration to see the apology to review it, and that's what led to it being revised. And the worst thing was, too, like, if that had been printed people would have still been like, whoa, that's a good apology. Mm-hmm. It would have been accepted and would have been get over it, same, same reaction, mm-hmm. only, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they would have continued to demonize yeah. BSAT and label us as a cult as they have on social media, such mm-hmm. as sure. Yik Yak and a bunch of... Like, um, my led- friends say yeah. we're Satanists, which yes. is like... <laughs> that is led by angry black women, which is, is not. <laughs> no, and it's not just us, you know. Sure, we have, like, a group for us, but, like, there's... it's inclusive within BSAT. Like, there's 43 of us. There's only, how many? Like, eight, nine? 13 black members. Yeah. The majority are white or other ethnicities. In BSAT. Yes, any wider BSAT. But they assume we're the only ones who complain about these kind of things, the only ones who speak up about these things. But it's it's plenty of more, like, other people. The apology didn't reflect that they learned anything Mm -hmm. from the um, sensitivity training that they had. It didn't reflect that at all, that they learned what was blackface, why it was offensive. It reflected nothing on that. And how massively did you guys remake this letter? Like, did you just put in a few commas or what? It was, it was pretty much the whole thing. Like, we put it up on a Google document and we yeah. all just erased and, like, added. It was just, we changed the whole thing. But as we um, said, like, the blackface incident is not just, like, the first incident. It was the major incident. Yeah. And then there was the recent um, floor crawl in one of the residences and the administration's quite dismissive response. I just want people to know that if you do, you know, racist things or inappropriate things, sexual harassment, you know, 
anything that you will be punished yeah. and at Mount Allison University. You will be punished. You will suffer some sort of serious consequence. You will be, you know, it will be made public. And, you know, I don't want people to get a bad impression of BSAT or I don't, we don't want a stigma to be behind BSAT. But, you know, we have to stand up for what we believe in. You know. I was Mount Allison students, Lauren Davis, Michaela Van Blurkham, Miata Christopher and Rennell Johnson. They were speaking with the CBC's Dennis Kalnan. A spokesperson for Mount A says the university is quick to respond to incidents and racism is not tolerated. I pretty much know why you won't talk. Is it because you don't trust anyone or they could misconstrue, misconstrue your words? Just so I won't get fined, boss. <laughs> Are you still about that action, boss? Just here so I won't get fined. We need that perfect hair. Who exactly are you, man? What's going on? All you do is ask me what the hell I am, who I'm with, what I'm buying. You always act like a motherfucking cop, man. This shit is bullshit, man. I'm free. I'm free. Let me be free. I want to be a cop. I want to be a cop. A story we've been covering for, well, ever since it really happened uh, last year, last May. Uh, an officer, ASU officer, Stuart Farron, uh, pulled over and uh, stopped an ASU professor from jaywalking. Mm-hmm. And when the confrontation turned very ugly, uh, she was ultimately arrested. Since that time, that ASU professor, who pled guilty, by the way, uh we thought that, you know, the FBI looked into this, other people looked into this, the officer didn't do anything wrong, the ASU professor pled guilty. Well, it came out a couple of months ago that the ASU officer is actually, was supposed to be fired right. uh, by this time, uh, by, I think January 21st. And the ASU professor said, if this guy is not fired, if this cop is not fired, I'm going to uh, sue ASU. And this is where the civil rights people have right. gotten involved White after cop, the FBI looked into it. White cop, uh, African-American woman, uh, Reverend Jared Maupin joined us, wanted yeah. the cop fired. But today, Reverend Jared Maupin had lunch with the ASU police officer, uh, 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 Officer Farron, and his attorney, Mel McDonald. We're yes. going to talk to both these guys here. Let's start with the attorney, Mel McDonald, now joins us. He's the attorney for uh, Officer uh, Farron. Hi, Mel. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Well, how did this lunch with Jared Maupin come about? Well, uh, it all starts with your radio show. Uh, about a week or so ago, he had been on the radio show while I was driving, and I became extremely upset with the claims that uh, Stuart Barron was a racist. And so for the first time in my career, I called your station and said, I want to be on the show the next day and respond. Mm-hmm. And so you guys had me on the show. Uh, last Friday, I had a call uh, from Reverend Moffat. I When it came through, one of my secretaries said who it was. I thought somebody was playing a practical joke. <laughs> right. So you had not spoken to Reverend Moppin before this? No, okay. not at all. Okay. And what we had said kind of on the show was a little bit of, I just wish all sides could get together and just hash this thing out and figure out what you know how we can how we can all work together. Is that is that what happened at lunch today? Uh, what happened is I get a call Friday, 
and and uh, I think that the Reverend and and I give him worlds of credit. He had rethought the position. He had heard what I said. He started looking into it, and he investigated it on his own. Hmm. And he said, "Mr. McDonald, can I meet with you and Stuart Parent?" I said, "Absolutely. You tell me when we agreed to meet last night." So we had dinner at Kona Grill in Gilbert, and Reverend Maupin and myself and Stuart sat there, answered all of his questions, told about his life, uh, told about his uh, work, his beliefs, uh, uh, and the Reverend came away absolutely convinced, as I've said on your show, Mm-hmm. There's not a racist bone in his body. Interesting. Mel McDonald is, Mel McDonald's the lawyer for Officer Stuart Fair and the ASU cop who uh, pulled over, stopped a uh, ASU professor from jaywalking. It turned into, well, I guess I should use past tense. Scuffle. It was mm-hmm. a, a it was going to be a, a civil rights violation. That's what they were going to sue for. And the ASU professor uh, was pled guilty. Said you know in court that you know I shouldn't have done what I had done. And we thought this was all settled. And then it came out later that ASU was going to fire. Uh, Stuart Farron, the ASU cop. Now, Mel, has that changed at all? Has ASU decided not to sue, or is that still on the table, even though you met with Reverend Jarrett Maupin? Well, the, the jury's still out. The, no decision has been made. Uh, I will tell you that, that Reverend Maupin had invited us to meet with people in the black community today. Uh, Stuart and I welcomed the invitation. We went there, met with some really wonderful people, I answered their questions, and in the room, in front of everybody with the cameras rolling, he said, Stuart Barron is not a racist. Uh, I made a mistake, and I applaud him. I, uh, that was a courageous action, in my view, to have made a statement and to do the 180, but I applaud him. He said, I made a mistake. I feel he should be reinstated at Arizona State University. Wow. And I'm told that he's going to be sending me a letter tonight, which I will forward on to the university, uh, supporting his reinstatement. And just to make sure we all know, was the ASU professor who threatened to sue, was she there today? No. No. Um, Mel McDonald is the attorney for uh, ASU police officer Stuart Farron. Can we talk to the officer for a minute? Sure. All right. How you guys doing? Hey, officer. How are you? I'm good. Pleasure so, to be here. Uh, just to let everybody know uh, what we're doing here, we are talking to. We just talked to Mel McDonald, who's the attorney for it, the person we're talking to now, the ASU uh, police officer Stuart Farron, who has been involved in in this controversy. Seemed like it, the, like a, a, a white cop, African American woman. That's kind of how the story was deemed by a lot of people. So you met with Maupin today, and you met people in the black community today at this lunch. What did you take out of that lunch? You know, uh, we did. We met with them. Um, I I absolutely had a blast. Um, I, as a police officer, love interacting with my community. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a nighttime officer. I work the night shift, so I don't necessarily get to have those type of interactions as much as I would like to. And, you know, 2 o'clock in the afternoon with true, real community members, uh, to hear their concerns about what they want to see from their police departments or what we can do to better our community was absolutely amazing. And I think both sides took some very good information and, and will, again, put that back into our organizations to truly help um, you know, our, our communities and our, and our state um, you know, succeed in, in our, in our uh, 
interactions with everybody. Officer Stuart Farron is an ASU police officer, uh, and, and we still don't know if ASU is going to fire him or not. That's still on the table. But it looks like, Officer uh, Farron, that the lawsuit by the ASU professor is dropped. Can you tell us why why Reverend Moffin decided to call you now? What Did something happen? Did something turn his mind? Why do you think this is happening right now? You know, uh, just like uh, uh, Mel said, he, he looked at the facts. Took a, a deeper dive into it and came to his own conclusion of where he needed to stand. Um, Did know, he ever he, talk uh, to you at all? No, I, 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 the first time I talked to him was Friday. Was was last night when we had when we had dinner. That's the first time I've ever spoken with him. Okay, and who who picked up the bill? <laughs> <laughs> did you, what did you get the bill to? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm I'm working a night job now. <laughs> now it's working a night I'm job. I'm sure. I'm sure. Hey, officer, what would you say to the ASU professor today if you could speak to her? You know, uh, unfortunately, because the case is still going and we're still trying to look, work out the litigation, I have to be careful with what I say. And so, uh, you know, I. I I don't have too much to say. I just hope that, that things work out for Well, her. Do, do you know uh, if she's going to be told about this meeting? Is she aware of this meeting? Is she aware of what Reverend Maupin did today? I will guarantee you if she listens to KTAR, she's going to know. Okay. And, and there were a lot of television media there. Uh, I'm sure that pretty much the entire state is going to know about the meeting. And I'm confident that she knows. Well, I hope that uh, everything can work out. Between you, Mel, and you, Stewart, and Reverend Maupin, and ASU, and and the Arizona State and Arizona State University. Hey guys, best of luck. I hope this all works out. And thanks for joining us today. Thanks okay. for calling. Yeah. Bye bye. Okay, that's Mel McDonald, the attorney for ASU police officer Stewart Farron, and there was Stewart uh, himself. I want to be a cop. Yeah. I want to be a cop. A former Ording police officer woke up to find a racial slur painted on his SUV, and he doesn't believe it was a random hate crime. New at 11, Come Force Russ Bowen joins us live in the Satellite Center with a story. Russ? Gary Pickens says he was alerted by a neighbor that a horrifying thing happened in his driveway, but he believes his history is what made him a target. I didn't know what to do. I just felt lost, confused. That was Gary Pickens' initial reaction when he saw the N-word spray-painted on his SUV outside his Puyallup home this morning. But when he saw the other side, he started to assume what may be behind this. Sue Chief and Pay is spray-painted on the vehicle. It doesn't make any sense to me, but... I mean, all that, all that I ask to be a, a part of a police department is to be treated as an equal. Gary and his attorney tell us he was let go by the Ording Police Department before his new higher probationary period was up. He claims his release was racially motivated and may file suit. That claim has not been proven at this point, though. The racial slurs on this car are despicable. They are hurtful and they're intended to send a message. So the message has been received but it won't be tolerated. The city of Ording did respond in writing, saying in part, the city has no tolerance for hate speech. This act is an offensive and deplorable crime, and we hope it is investigated and that the person or persons involved are identified and successfully prosecuted. At this time, we have no further information about this incident. Pickens attorney says it's a hate crime and has a much deeper effect. People say, oh my God, why, why are they always crying racism? Well, until you've lived it every day, until you've seen it, until you've experienced it, you have no idea what damage that does.
And for Gary, it's not just about him. I didn't know what this was like until now, like, you know, racism and how it's still alive. The police chief did confirm Gary did fail his probationary period, but could not comment on why, nor could he comment on an Equal Opportunity Commission matter. Live in the Satellite Center, Russ Bowen, coming for news. Factor in for Marco Werman, and this is the world. If we're ever tempted to take our liberties for granted here in America, all we have to do is look around the globe to be reminded that it takes hard work to build a lasting democracy. We're going to focus on two examples of that to start the show today. Egypt, where the democratic hope of the Arab Spring four years ago has given way to a harsh reality. More on that in a few minutes. First, though, we go to South Africa, where almost 15 years after Nelson Mandela was released from prison, the majority black government says it's releasing a convicted apartheid-era death squad leader in the name of nation-building. Eugene de Kock had previously been sentenced to life plus 212 years in jail for his role in murdering anti-apartheid activists. Our BBC colleague in South Africa, Milton Nkosi, says government officials now say de Kock is eligible for parole. They've decided that after serving 20 years, because that's what he's served up to now, is that he is eligible for parole given his behavior, good behavior behind bars, and also that he has asked his victims to forgive him. He invited some of the families to forgive him. Milton, you were a reporter during apartheid, during the fall of apartheid. What affected did the killings by de Kock and his um, assassination squad, I guess, have? It had a huge effect, Aaron. In fact, that's a very good question because um, while we were covering these stories before the end of apartheid, in other words, in the years leading up to 1994, these heat squads were very much in full force. The people were dying in the dead of night. Uh, nobody knew how they died. And a lot of them, by and large, they were black activists who were fighting the system of racial segregation. Now, I want to make sure people understand because I was absolutely shocked when I heard about the story this morning. The organization that de Kock ran was a hit squad. It actually was designed to kill people, extrajudicial killings, right? Very much so. Now, um, this we're talking a really, really dark history here. What happened under apartheid is that the police set up these death squads and they targeted these anti-apartheid activists. And after the end of apartheid, Nelson Mandela came out and said, look, we're going to end up in a bloodbath here if we don't fix this thing. Number one, let's get both nations, black and white, together to build the nation. And uh, in doing so, he set up 
the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which was chaired by Desmond Tutu, the Archbishop. And they encouraged people who were uh, involved in very, very bad, uh, violent deeds on behalf of the apartheid state to come forward and tell the truth. Eugene Tikok did exactly that. He went to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, told the truth. He explained that the generals in the army, in the police, ordered them to target these people. But he went to prison for going beyond the call of duty. In other words, beyond the death squad mandate, he still carried on killing. But ironically, and as life would have it, the families of some of those people who've died have forgiven him. There's one lady called uh, Marcia Koza, uh, Aaron. She went to uh, CMAX, which is the central prison in Pretoria. She visited Mr. DeCock, who had killed her mom because her mom was an ANC activist. And she went to talk to him and she forgave him. Now, that is the power of the human spirit. Really incredible. Now, I I wonder if um, the opinion in South Africa is somehow shaped by generation as well. I mean, it's 20 years since the end of apartheid, right? And I imagine the younger generation has less of an interest in, in what came before them. They just want to move on. Well, there are those people who are consumed by the current uh, technological advances of Twitter and music. But when you're in South Africa, you cannot avoid the legacy of apartheid, Aaron, uh, how history of yesterday shapes today, and it will continue to have an impact in tomorrow's world. So in South Africa, many black people are still confined in tiny, poor communities, and the white community, which is in the minority nationally, they have all the resources they live in, Leafy's suburbs, they go to good schools, and they've got the good jobs. So the legacy of apartheid is there. And when you are young, and you hear about Eugene Tukok, who you've never heard anything about before, then it connects. You realize why there are so many poor black people in the townships, in the shanty towns, and there's no shanty town full of white people. The BBC's Milton Nkosi on the line there from London. I've never seen a lynching either, but I know they're not funny. See, shows what you know. I've seen funny lynchings. No, you haven't. I have so. Roscoe Patterson's lynching was funny. Yeah, so them niggas was like, Roscoe, you better leave time for Mr. Charlie and them crackers gonna fall for you. I'm like, man, fuck these crackers, man. It's Roscoe Patterson. Nigga, I don't give a fuck. I just don't give a fuck. You know what I'm saying? White man can eat a dick. Eat my balls, nigga. There he is. Get that nigger. Oh. Hey, I Go, let's go. Oh, Watch out. It uh, wasn't really funny after that. Mm-mm. 20-year-old waitress in Maryville, Missouri, is assaulted after she takes a man's order. Prosecutors say his actions were motivated by the color of her skin. The Nottoway County hate crime charge first on Fox. Fox Force Eric Burke with more information on the charges filed against the 65-year-old man from Maryville tonight. Tommy Dean God drove into Maryville early Sunday morning for breakfast. What happened there led to some serious allegations. The Nottoway County prosecutor charged 65-year-old Tommy Na with a third-degree felony assault hate crime. Court records say Ga assaulted the 20-year-old victim and was motivated to do so because of her race. According to the probable cause statement, Ga made several racially insensitive comments. It started when the victim asked Ga if he wanted white or wheat toast. Records show that Ga replied, I'm prejudiced. I'll take white. The 20-year-old placed the order and was standing near a counter when Ga approached her and grabbed her arm and asked if she'd like to party. She said no, and Ga reportedly said, I would like to take you where I hung your grandpa. Then he walked away. Ga denied everything to police but did admit being prejudiced and made one final statement 
using the N-word twice. He is free on bond. We went to Gaw's home about 10 minutes south of Maryville for comment. No one answered the door. Eric Burke, Fox 4 News, working for you in Maryville. Tonight's Augusta County Supervisors meeting started with a, uh, a little differently than normal with an apology. During a work session on Monday, Supervisor Tracy Piles allegedly commented on a story written by Daily News leader reporter Calvin Trice. During his remark, Piles admitted to referring to Trice, who is African American, as boy and quickly changed it to son. Piles says he uses the term often when referring to his own sons and people who are younger than him. Piles says he can be obnoxious, but it's not racism. It's not racism. It was stupid. What I said, because the guard didn't go up soon enough. This is going to be misinterpreted. I'm going to try and do better. I'm going to try and be, uh, you know, think ahead what I say. But I want you folks to know that I love everybody. I'm just trying to do a good job. Piles had previously apologized to Trice. I am not prejudiced. Speaking of uh, business, the president went on a customer service call this week to, <laughs> to India, and then he cut short that trip, which I thought was kind of strange, to go to Saudi Arabia. But he went to Saudi Arabia to shake hands, I mean, to, to, to meet with the guys who wouldn't shake hands, with his wife and uh, I, I, I thought when she wouldn't wear the headscarf that she was kind of making the kind of statement that I've been trying to get across here for a long time. I, I do think you have to be culturally sensitive but I think Amer a lot of Americans were proud that the yeah. first lady did what she did. Yeah. Finally conservatives said good for you first lady. <laughs> even Ted Cruz. Yeah even Ted Cruz. We're so glad to have the Washington Post Clinton Yates as part of Evenings on WTOP. And tonight on My Take, Clinton says First Lady Michelle Obama is reminding the world who's really in charge. I am completely here for pretty much every single thing that Michelle Obama does. Not just because she's awesome, but because she continues to redefine what the entire position of First Lady even means. When she showed up with her husband for the funeral of Saudi Arabia's king, she bothered not with that nation's restrictive regulations for what women should wear. Not only did she eschew the covered head, she also didn't wear black. Black. You can call her immodest or disrespectful, but the fact is that she doesn't need to adhere to some random guy's austerity measures just because it's tradition. It was far more than a fashion statement, her appearance in Riyadh. In a hundred years, when people talk about this country's first president of color, the history books will probably only remember the man in the Oval Office. But in the minds of many, the legacy of the woman in the White House will live on just as long, if not longer. I'm Clinton Yates, and that's my take.
a superstar, megastar here in the studio with us. And not only that, uh, we share a great deal in common, our uh, passion for the game of baseball as well. Kevin Costner is here with us. His new movie premieres this weekend, Black or White. Kevin, welcome. Thank you. Plan. How are you, man? I'm good, Mark. Good, Thanks. good, good. Black or white? Congratulations. Thank uh, you. On the movie, this is um, you uh, invested quite a bit of your, yeah. your yourself in this. I, I mean, wasn't the only one. My longtime partner uh, came on board with me when I said I was going to make this. Do you want to come on board? Thought about it a day and said, "Yeah." I said, "Because nobody else is going to help me." What What about this movie and this message made you decide to do that? I don't know. I've seen movies like this before in my career. Dances with Wolves, Field of Dreams, Bull mm-hmm. Durham. Now, these are movies that now we know historically kind of made it, kind of, mm-hmm. you know, re- you know, kind of went to the finish line in a big, big way. Yeah, true. All three of those movies uh, were troubled movies, not easy to get made. And uh, Black or White, I thought, reminded me just, just the way I thought of them. I thought this was an incredible story, really smart. If we did it right, it might, it, it could be a classic. Mm-hmm. It could be a Yankee. Uh, <laughs> if we did it right, it could live forever, and that's mm. what we really want with our with uh, with with our movies. We don't want them to be disposable after the opening weekend, whether they're number one or not. We want to be able to pass them on to your thirteen year old and go, "I want you to look at this," or "I want you to look at this now," which I actually think black or white uh, is capable of being something important to him. A lot of. Uh- Questions about the movie, and it's that's why people should go see it, not necessarily judge a book by its cover, but the movie deals with issues of race, and, and sometimes that can be a little uncomfortable yeah. and intense. And the, and the window in is it comes is over the welfare of a child, which is an right. honest difference that people have. Where is this child safe? It's, it's, it's about to be raised by two different sets of grandparents, one out of South Central Compton, the other out of Brentwood, white. And uh, the issues of race come up with where is that child going to be uh, better off. And I really feel what's cool about the movie is those two people would have solved it, but the minute lawyers got involved, race mm. started to become a tool. And it happens too much in our conversation. Sometimes race has no place in our differences. Uh, to recognize that race is alive and well in this country, yeah, we need to look at that because it's not going away. And um, this generation and generations to come have have work to do. Um you know, our kids are getting better at it than we are. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, but, you know, it, it it's just an authentic look at where we're at today when it comes to race. I mean, we have a tendency to look backwards. Mm-hmm. You know, we look at some of the butler, 12 years of slave. But, you know, w- what I loved about this is, is where it, it, it sits right now. And um, I took this movie down to St. Louis and I said, this is, you know, a lot of people said, maybe we shouldn't take that movie down there. And mm-hmm. I said, well, w- w- what are you talking about? Is it? St. Louis is us, isn't it? Isn't Ferguson right. us? Right. And it played beautifully. Did it? Oh, yeah. I played this in, in front of black audiences, entirely black audiences, and in front of white. And people are clapping at the exact same thing. And why not? Because there's not that big a difference between us. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's just the color of our skin, period. Some would say that the portrayal of the father in the movie, who's a drug addict, yeah. um, is somewhat stereotypical. Well, you could say that, but I think you really have to examine that a little bit. In every movie, you've got to make something. And this is based on true events. And that particular character is the truest character of them mm-hmm, all. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's not a cliche. That's a real, that's a real situation. The other is, um, 
people need to understand, and on, I know plenty of families where brothers and sisters raised in the same house, ate the same food, sat at the same table, got the same lessons in life, had the same bed, same comforts, everything, and one of them spins out. Right, right. And it happens in, in, in every family almost. Somebody go, well, wait a second, how did that happen? They're just, you know, doing something that just makes no sense. And so anybody that would kind of dismiss this movie based on that is not looking at the the world at least the way I see it. And 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 that and that runs in white, Hispanic, right. black, where one brother or one sister has just didn't get it. And uh, but it's very important to watch that character towards the end of the movie because also something happens there that's representative of how he was brought up. Yeah. Well, but but in fairness too. Your own character is is flawed, Elliot. Absolutely. I mean, so you have on the one hand the father, the black father's drug addict, but the white grandfather, you, right? You're an alcoholic. Yeah, and, and this movie plays it very even. I mean, his his uncle is a highly successful attorney. His yeah, mother right. uh, has six businesses, working out of a garage, albeit, mm-hmm. but she's a can-do person. Mm-hmm. Um, there's 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 a, quality in these two families that are now having to fight and what happens is race becomes a tool and uh, the one thing that we haven't done is back away from the language here we play it right, really because you, you use n-word we play it right well and 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 it's also what one person says to another there's something mm-hmm. authentic about how we talk when anthony mackie talks to reggie right he tells him what time it is mm-hmm. he tells him a yeah, lot of things that i think you would probably tell your son if he was misbehaving yeah and 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 that's what I think people are enjoying about the movie. They're going, yeah, that's what I would say. And my character has that same thing. Yeah, uh, and I think that's important. There's also, and folks, we don't want to give too much away. We want you to definitely go see the movie as it opens everywhere this weekend. There is a, a one line of dialogue that has been that has gotten a lot of attention between you and Octavia Spencer, who plays the grandmother. Yeah. In in this situation and. I'm paraphrasing, but you say to her at one point or ask her, why does why does race always have to be there? Why yeah. does it always be? And then she re- re- replies, why won't you admit that's a there there? That there's a there there. <laughs> and then and that's what I talked about. I mean, there is a veil over this country. And if you're and if you're not black, if you're white, you don't you will not experience what can be experienced every day mm-hmm. and is experienced now. We do have to get somewhere. We do have to sure. somehow go forward. Sure. But to acknowledge that that's, that's not a daily thing that's going on. You know, it's the equivalent of being a woman walking by a good looking woman walking by a construction site. She is she is probably scared to death what right. she might hear. Right. And maybe it's maybe it's as tame as a whistle. But that's still a small thing. It could get a lot worse than that. And there are young people um, of color, of ethnicity. I'm not even going to get that word right. That are walking to school every day that can hear something. Yeah. And you know, if you're a dad, it's a that's a dagger to your heart because you've dealt with it. The last thing in the world is you want your son dealing with it. Right. And we have to get to that point where we don't feel their spirit get crushed that's right. and come home and have to have a long explanation. So there's a reality. There's a reality that I can't solve. Mm-hmm. This is only one single story. Mm-hmm. But what I couldn't do was do a dance around this movie and not play it authentic. Yeah. The, the most prevalent issue, of course, today when it comes to race relations is in and around a lot of the police violence and yeah. injuries we've seen over the past year. Eric Garner, Michael Brown, all of that. Uh, what are your thoughts about it? What was your reaction as you watched those stories unfold in the news? 
Well, look, you know, I, I mean, I, I believe in the idea of justice for all, okay? Mm-hmm. And I believe in the idea that, 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 that the thin line of protection in this country has to do with police. Without them, there's going to be anarchy. So we have, we have this situation, this problem. I'm not smart enough to know, uh, you know, the situation. But I, I, I am, I am um, smart enough to know that if a police force does not represent the, 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 the the, the diversity that a community has. If, if, if our police officers look terribly different than us, I don't think that's a good thing. And it took me a while to actually believe that. I believe that now. I believe that's wrong. You know, I mean, there's people complaining about uh, uh, um, that in the Oscar thing that, 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 um, right. uh, uh, that black actors were, are not represented. Right. And, you know, I'd like to think that nobody's out there playing games, but it's awful hard if you're a black actor and you look at the voting body and it's and it's of a certain age and it's mm-hmm, all white. Mm-hmm. That starts to not feel right. Yeah, yeah. And so that that is something that that I think that uh, what I take is that has to happen through, throughout. That uh, we have to be representative of the people. You know, the the police force does have to represent the community and yeah, ethnicity right. that 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 matches. That matches the the, the the community. I think yeah. that's a that's a number one thing. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things I think is important about the movie, just as you since you brought up the Oscars and the committee, I mean, it's it's one thing to do a movie like Selma, Twelve Years a Slave, as important as they are for the historical reference. But I've often felt, and I think this is where your movie is important. All the other movies that aren't necessarily out of a historical period um, ought to reflect the diversity that we have in this country, if not the world. I mean, I, I just, to me, I don't have a lot of use for movies where there's only one ethnicity in the whole movie. I mean, yeah. it's just, that's it. It's just like, it, it, it only, you're talking about that token thing, like, like that evens the scales. It doesn't. Right. Right. But to have an authentic movie. Yeah. Uh, and whatever it is. And I think all movies, whatever movie can be made, I right. think can show yeah. real people because that's the way the world is nobody well, there's not one group of people just walking around by look, themselves when I, when I made when i made bodyguard it didn't say uh uh right beautiful black girl right it said beautiful girl that can sing yeah the most beautiful girl that i knew that could sing was whitney mm-hmm. houston yeah so that was like you know that wasn't a brave move on my part some people try to say that it wasn't it was like i've been a fool that's who we should be going for and i didn't want to go for the the best actress or the what I wanted to go for the the best looking woman that could sing that I thought could act and the woman right. that had the most presence was that sweet little girl called Whitney Houston mm-hmm. and that's how it worked for me God bless her we miss her how we miss her but it, we we have to acknowledge because she was so beloved I mean you'll always no matter what you'll always be revered for being Whitney Houston's bodyguard I mean that's all I ever hear you are the bodyguard so you can do no wrong you know that right well, you know that's a that's a that's a nice thing that's a nice thing to hear, and I and I have to be a little bit humble about that because that was a special moment in time for me. Sure, we 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 trusted each other. I said, "You're the girl," and we made this movie, and um, and people will always link us together. And um, you know, I you know, in Dances with Wolves, you see, you're my friend. You see, you'll always be my friend. Mm-hmm. That's how Whitney was for me. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I I saw what what happened, what was going down, but mm-hmm. she was my friend, and she'll always be my friend. Yeah, yeah, uh, and of course we saw you speak at her homegoing service, and that was that was quite meaningful to all of us, folks. This weekend, Black or White uh, premieres all over the country. Uh, I mean, of course, a movie can't do everything. You and I can't do everything, but you think this will help in the dialogue? 
I know it will help because it helped me. And I'm, I've, I, what I've learned in my life is if, if, if something moves me, it has a great chance of moving someone else. And that's why I was committed to making this movie. Um, what's coming up next for Kevin Costner? What else do you have in the pipeline? I've got a little movie where I, uh, a true story where, um, <laughs> where I become the coach of these little Chicanos, these little, uh, this Hispanic community, this migrant farm workers, children and in, in, yes, 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 in the right, central right, right. Valley of right, California. Right. So, um, true story. And these kids go on to win nine state championships when they had nothing going for themselves. And it's a, it's from Disney and it's a, it's a pretty heartwarming movie. I hope people are able to find that too but i'm um i'm looking to get on a horse again i'd like to make another western really i would okay okay that sounds like fun congratulations thank you uh folks uh we know his work he's always done great work so we should definitely check out black or white this weekend in fact help it to win the box office over the weekend that's very very important and a lot to be a lot of great people in there anthony mackie octavia spencer it's a it's a very warm story. You know, I would just say something about Anthony going out. I could be talking about both of them the whole mm-hmm. the whole time, but Anthony said something that I thought was very poignant to me. It was very street, but it was also very very poignant. <laughs> okay. He just he just said to somebody, he said, "Look, go get go get somebody that doesn't look like you, and take him to the theater, and then you guys have a talk." Really? Yeah, I like that. Go get somebody that doesn't look like you. Yeah, and go watch a movie together. Yeah, that's important. That's important. You hear that audience? That's what we should do. Because I'm going to tell you, you know how many times I get that the audience is practically 50-50. And I get that thing. Why do we have to talk about that? You know, and then I'll say, well, you've got to admit that it's there. So uh, there are a lot of people who yeah. discount that. You know, we have we have to accept what's, what's out here. And, and, you know, man, last point. You know, when I ended Dancers with Wolves, there's a little end crawl that comes up, a paragraph that talks about this beautiful movie that you feel like you just saw. Mm-hmm. And then it says, in 20 years later, in 20 years, this horse, the horse culture, this great horse culture you just watched, mm-hmm. the beauty of these people was gone. In 20 years, you just spent a three-hour movie, wow. and you fell in love with it. And I wrote this thing. In 20 years, the Great Plains Indians were wiped off the map practically. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people said to me, hey, man, we know that happened. Why are we putting that in there? And I said, we don't know it happened. We forget that it happened. And in 20 years, these beautiful people were gone. So the idea of, of, of that we know or, hey, you know, we've been talking about race since August. Sorry, get over it. We're going to keep talking about this. We got a job to do. Just like yeah. when she slapped Reggie, said, You got a job to do. So we do in this country. We got a job to do. And we need to do it intelligently with grace. And we need to do it with a constant urgency. We have yeah. to move this ball. Yes, sir. The great Kevin Costner, Field of Dreams, For the Love of the Game, Bull Durham. Yeah. The bodyguard, uh, <laughs> most of all, I think. And uh, also, of course, his new movie, Black or White which premieres this weekend. Good to see you, man. Look great. Thank you. Keep up the great work. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Saturday, January 31st, 2015. 
So I have been told. Compensatory call in if you would like to participate, the number to dial 760-569-7676. The code is 564-943-POUND. Press star six if you would like to participate. That number one more time. Seven six zero five six nine seven six seven six. The code is five six four nine four three pounds. Press star six if you would like to participate. We should be back tomorrow. Dr. Francis Cress Welsing returns. Uh, we will be live. Super Bowl kickoff, 6.30 p.m. Eastern, 3.30 p.m. Pacific. Remember, uh, be thinking you can share this evening or email uh, something about American Sniper you would like to ask Dr. Welsing based on the book study session. Definitely share. I, I plan to ask her about that tomorrow and probably pick out a passage to uh, read from the book as well. But she will be here tomorrow evening. We will also be here on Monday. I'll give more details about that later. Invest. If you think the program is constructive, racism-notes.blogspot.com. Racism-notes.blogspot.com. Listener supported Counter Racist Radio. You will see the PayPal button on the top right corner of the blog. Uh, if you're not in the PayPal, drop me an email. We can get you a mailing address if you would like to support to keep the cows rolling. We will be celebrating our six year anniversary uh, next month. Thanks to all of the folks who have listened, called in, invested, uh, suggested guests. Uh, supported us uh, down through the years. I uh, hope the program has been, continues to be worthy of your time and energy, and it is still, if you like the program, so what? If you don't like the program, so what? Replace white supremacy with justice. That is in effect for so many reasons. Um, number one, uh, I watched Serena Williams play tennis last night. Um, that is one thing I enjoy about being on the West Coast. Things like some of the sporting events and what have you um, end up being not too late because I remember I, I, I don't think I ever got to see her uh, Serena Williams play in the Australian Open live because it would be on, I think it was on at like 3.30 in the morning or something ridiculous uh, on the East Coast and it ended up going until close to 5. <laughs> like uh, I mean, really. But uh, yeah, I was able to see her uh, play last night. She won, beat uh, Maria Sharapova. Um, she gave huge kudos to her black mother and black father uh, after she secured her 19th victory. I uh, thought a lot about the uh, the book we just read, Richard Williams' book, uh, Black and White, the way I see it. Uh, outstanding material in the uh, book study session. Um, and I thought I saw a instant of racism they were doing a crowd shot and there 
to me, and this, it was quick. That's why I said, you know, I really, I was hoping that they were going to show this person again. They didn't, but it, to what it, what it looked like it could have been, I'm not sure, but it looked like it could have been a white person, a white male in a green Afro wig. It looked like he could have been in some sort of female attire. I thought for an instant that he might have darkened his skin somehow, like he might be trying to imitate a female. Uh, a black female specifically with the, the afro. It was green. Uh, but with the afro, that's what I thought it could have been. But it was on the uh, screen just for a really short period of time. Like it was it was when my brain started rolling, like processing what I was seeing. Like, what is this? And they, you know, went to a different shot. But I thought that could have been a moment uh, of racism amongst a lot of uh, other racism. It's always interesting listening when white people have to uh, acknowledge the greatness of a melanin dominant human. It is always uh, interesting seeing uh, how they conduct themselves at such times. Uh, moving forward, the clip that you heard uh, about the uh, Mount Allison University up in Canada, where the black students for advo advocacy Awareness and Togetherness, uh, BSAT, or B, uh, BSAT, B-S-A-A-T, uh, where they uh, were talking about what was happening up there. They said that they had been called occult Satanists, <laughs> that uh, the angry black females, and I cracked up laughing because I was like, that's what they said about us. <laughs> like When the cows started, we were, it, matter of fact, the cows wasn't even on the air. Uh, it was about two months before we first got started back of the bus and Gus in 2007. And we had white friends, had white friends. It's like, it is, it is so incredible for me, like, to look back and be like, wow, like, we were popular, like, people wanted us to go to parties and messed everything up, started talking about white supremacy at any rate. But they called us a cult. Like, I remember it vividly. Like, uh, I can empathize. I'm going to see if we can get them uh, on the program. Um, the piece, uh, and this is in conjunction, one of our listeners uh, in the area of the world known as Europe, uh, they wrote in and they were saying that they appreciated the program. It helped keep them sane. Uh, that they were hoping we could talk about more global aspects of white supremacy. And I think I got that email like the day before uh, Mr. Baraka was on the program on Wednesday, where we were talking about global aspects of white supremacy. I was like, just stay tuned. And then I also thought the compensatory call-in, uh, I don't know if you listen or if you pay attention or not for folks who tune in regularly, but I tend to get at least two to three clips per week. Uh, I try to make that mandatory um, that are focusing on racism outside of the U.S. And really, if I had enough content, I would have no problem doing the whole segment being, you know, other parts of the world, because I think at the end of the day, you get to learn a lot about racism, white supremacy, regardless of the geographic location. And I think it can be informative to hear how similarly whites operate worldwide, the global patterns that you will see and how they conduct their terrorist enterprise and where you see, you know, differences, compare and contrast, as they say. But I think we always I think last week we had the segment on uh, being black in Brazil. Uh, we had the segment on Honduras, uh, as well as the opening the gay school in uh, England uh, this week. Eugene de Kock. Wow. I sat with my mouth on the ground because that was the first time I heard the whole thing. Like, wow. I mean, it's so much I could say about that. I did want to get in 
uh, careful listeners, you should remember Eugene DeCock, because I played uh, an audio segment from uh, Talk Radio 702 in uh, South Africa. I played a segment they had about a 45-minute program on Eugene DeCock this past summer. It was like July, and they were talking about him getting this parole, which he got. Uh, they were talking about the pros and cons of it, and I think I played a, a pretty nice chunk. I remember Prime Evil, that name stuck in my, that his nickname, it stuck in my head. But folks who listen in, you should remember uh, Eugene DeCock from the program. And I contrasted that, what they said about the black people, the victims going to talk to Eugene DeCock, the death squad leader, right, in greater confinement to forgive him ultimately. I contrasted that with Chris Kyle because I talked about this yesterday. I said it's like, or it's not like it is. Whites are the only group that can be justified, proud of vengeance. <laughs> like you did something wrong, or I'm fabricating that you did something wrong, or I'm going to pretend you did something wrong, and we are getting retribution. <laughs> like they are the only group. Nobody, everybody else, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be proud to forgive and move on. Like, we're not going to gripe about this and talk about this. You forgive and moving forward. I contrast that with what uh, Chris Kyle said uh, yesterday. He says, uh, <laughs> I'm not saying war crimes should be committed. I'm saying that warriors need to be let loose to fight war without their hands tied behind their backs. According to the rules of engagement I followed in Iraq, if someone came into my house, shot my wife, my kids and then threw down his gun i was supposed to not shoot him i was i was supposed to take him gently into custody would you i mean it's just like i mean if you've been following the book club that is dripping throughout the book that sentiment i mean it's just it is massive. You compare that with what you heard uh, with regards to Eugene DeCock's victims. Uh, I'm going to ask Dr. Wilson about that tomorrow. Um, I also thought it was significant, the portion uh, where they talked about the uh, white uh, white politician in Virginia, uh, Virginia who had to, uh, or I guess he didn't have to, but he chose to uh, apologize for referring to the black male uh, as a boy. And then he changed it to son, which in my mind was not much of a difference at all. But he said, uh, I didn't have my guard up soon enough. <laughs> wow, that is so that is so uh, just revealing the codification like <sighs> I missed the good old days. I could say what I wanted. You niggas and this, that and the other coons. I could just say what I wanted. And now I got to be real careful. I will think twice when I come out in public and I'm talking to you spear chuckers. I will not call you a boy until I get home. Like, uh, I, fascinating. Uh, I mean, a lot, if you just pay attention to what white people are saying, a lot of times it reveals, uh, so much. I could be in error, but I think it's a lot. The last thing I'll get in, um, I think it was brought up last week about Kevin Costner's new flick that's out, I guess this weekend, which American sniper I'm sure is punishing at the box office. Um, it was talking about some of the, uh, black actors, actresses from the help, um, and you know, how their careers have evolved. I think, and I think I've said this before, I think, um, at least the main black characters or, uh, thespians 
uh, their career has taken off. Like that was the jump off spot for their career. Like Viola Davis, uh, she's been in a lot of, she was in Ender's Game and she's been in quite a few other films. She's got this big successful uh, television show, How to Get Away with Murder, um, that seems to be doing uh, very well. Uh, Octavia Spencer, she's in this new film. She also is on, on a television program. I don't follow it, but uh, she just, it started this past fall. She's been in quite a few uh, other films uh, as well. And uh, I believe David Oyelowo uh, of uh, Selma was also in The Help. So I think a lot, the black, at least a lot of the main black actors, actresses, they have done very well uh, since that film. But Viola Davis specifically, she gave a speech this past week about the Screen Actors Guild, or at the Screen Actors Guild event. And she talked about racism. She had her natural hair out. She looked fantastic. Um, I, I mean, no coincidences. Her show, How to Get Away with Murder, returned to the air this week, right? They had their, I guess what they called the winter hiatus, whatever. I hadn't been on since November. It was on. And when it ended, uh, her white husband, Cowbell, had been killed. And all for to protect a white girl. And uh, the segment ends, and I was telling you all about a fight that she had with her white husband, Verbal, before he was killed. And I said that he yells at her, you know, you, you disgusting slut. I only, <laughs> I only chose you because I knew I could do all the nasty and hideous sexual things with you that I'd be ashamed to even talk to anyone about. You make me sick. <laughs> and he says all this while he's literally strangling her, uh, you know, about to kill her maybe before he lets her go and just walks away. Um, but that's right. That was one of the big scenes from last season. And they even showed that in the preview when it came back on, they got into this one. And they have a scene where Viola Davis's character, she's in the bathroom. She's in the bathroom stall and has two white women talking. Or they're not black. Maybe they're not white, but they're definitely not black. I suspect they both could be white. They're talking at the mirror. And they say, uh, oh, my God, can you believe that? Viola Davis's character, Annalise, can you believe her? You know, she is, she is just, oh, my God, she's an animal. She's not even human. I mean, how could you? And, and she's hearing all this and I'm like, wow, did they just say that she's an animal? <laughs> like, Wow. I mean, and, and that's the sort of thing that I mean, like when I was talking, I think someone had said that they thought how to get away with murder is not very refined. I can only conclude that this is it must be very refined because most of the people that I hear talking about this particular show, they're not pointing out just in my I mean astronomically explicit acts of racism they're not pointing those out they think that this show is representative of counter racist entertainment like that i check online this is one show that i follow right i've seen all the episodes most of them more than once detailed like if you were going to do tv night this is a show i could talk about um but most of the people that i read like people that blog and and do television analysis I've not, and even, you know, black people, non-white people, they think this is great. This is a powerful black female who wears her natural hair out. She's a professor. She's an attorney. She's married to a white man. <laughs> like, this is great. She even does a, there's a, a whole episode where she works pro bono to get a black male out of greater confinement. He's been there for like 20 years. Racism is all in the case. She ends up winning. Like, yeah, she's sticking it to him and talking about racism and rah, rah, rah. <sighs> man, it's, 
I can only conclude this must be very refined, where whites can give you the same sort of, they can call a black female an animal, and it doesn't register as, wow, we are just watching astronomical white supremacy programming propaganda. I will stop there. Uh, the number seven six zero five six nine seven six seven six, and the code is five six four nine four three pound. Press star six if you would like to participate. Uh, I patted myself on the back. I was very pleased. I was able to get Whitney Houston and Gil uh, Scott Heron as well as Big L all on the same segment and it all related to the content that was heard. Job well done with the music. Uh, Everyone who dialed in with a hand up, your line should be open. Feel free to uh, chime in. Watch the background noise. If you can, again, you speak one time and then you allow everybody else to uh, get their one time in. And then if we have time, you can get your second or additional comments in. Uh, Good to uh, see all of you all. Feel free to hop in. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, the um, I came in on the on the Kevin Costner thing with I think it was Mark Thompson, Mark Melamufulu, right? Interview. Um, and I just thought to myself, it was because of Mark Thompson and his show that got me into indigenous study in the first place. It was because of his show. There's a program he had on um, when he was on um, um, uh, what's the DC um, WOL station? WOL, yeah, when he was on WOL and he would would have um, people come on and and um, it was this one brother he brought on that, that broke down that black people had a culture. And um, for seven days, he pointed out what black people do and what white people do and the differences between the two. For seven days. <clears throat> and uh, I had never really put it together like that. It made me, it changed my mindset totally. I think that was the when I first started really looking at um, who I was and what I was in this in this world, and it's funny that he has on Kevin Costner, and they talk about Kevin Costner and giving most accolades and stuff like that, you know. And I, I'm going at it because I'm thinking to myself, man, if, if he wouldn't have ever got kicked off of WOL or whatever happened over there. Would he even be talking to Kevin Costner? Because <laughs> it, it just doesn't line up, you know. You know, um, but when Kevin Costner, you know, he pushes that that bull crap about the Plains Indians disappearing or just gone, I'm like, what are you talking about? They're still there. You know, the people still there, and we just keep saying that they're gone and they keep telling you they're still there. You know, just like they keep saying that the ancient people of the Mississippi Valley, or they just disappeared in uh seven eleven BC. 
700 BC. They just disappeared. Well, where'd they go, man? How, how do how those people just disappear? And um, we just keep saying that. So it's just like, it's just, you know, it's just another form of racism to me that you just keep hiding the fact that slavery um, was, was pushed by the Native Americans as well. And these people who were the South <clears throat> sold indigenous or aboriginal people off into the islands. And so you moved around, and you're thinking you're coming from Africa. Man, you, you, you're probably one of these aboriginal people that come out of America. Because, you know, blacks can be everywhere else but in America. You know, as aboriginals, we, we can't be anybody else. So, you know, he's still pushing that as well with what he supposedly knows. And in that movie that he was talking about when he's dealing with the Plains Indians, it, you know, he, the fact is that he's supposed to be a, a, a soldier. And his job was to maintain a post, um, which we call a um, a postal service now. <clears throat> and postal services are not supposed to be in Indian land. But that was their excuse to keep so that they could have a military presence in military land. I mean in Indian land. Um so to to, to say that we, we need to keep the mail going. And this is this is this is the precursor on how to keep in coaching on 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 lands that are supposed to be treated um, amongst the people. You know, you're not supposed to be, you're here to do whatever you got to do to grow your food for wherever you got to go to and stuff like that for, for trade purposes, but you keep in coaching and in coaching. And uh, I think the real reason for the racism that they really have is just is because of they know that the black people are indigenous to the land and their behavior seems to seems to point towards that, towards us, because you know they'll always point toward, hey, you know, what about the Japanese and Chinese and everybody else that can do well here? And we can always just say, well, they're not indigenous, so yeah, you're gonna treat them nicer. You know, they got someplace else to go. They can go back where they came from. But if you're indigenous, well, I'm gonna treat you different. I'm just going to try to murder you and keep you off the land. And that's exactly what they did. So, um, but I'll just let somebody else get in right now. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, I, 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 saw that, uh, I saw that flash uh, of that uh, the person in uh, Serena's match. And in my eye and mind, I thought it was a feminized uh, black male. Uh, it, like you said, it happened so fast. Uh, and I, I got that, that, that TiVo, but I didn't bother to reverse it back uh, for some reason. But uh, that's what I thought it was. I thought it was an fem, feminized looking black male. Uh, but but I, I could be wrong. Uh, anyway, uh, I took some notes on the... Uh, different uh, 
reports that you uh that you put on you posted on and i, I remember the uh the clan shootout in nineteen seventy nine because it came on all of the major news it was it was the major news story on on a b c n b c and c b s uh on the evening news i remember that uh and and now that i think about it it's just it just shows you that white people who claim to be anti-racist are poor rivals when it comes to confronting whites who practice racism i mean they they always get they get their butt kicked or you know, it, it, it just confirms for me that they're not really serious anyway. They're not really serious anyway, and, and that doesn't happen that often. Uh, you know, real violent uh, responses between that, those two segment, segments of, of white people. Uh, uh, we need to stop forgiving uh, white people who are practicing racism. Especially in the, especially, you know, we're in the middle of a war that's being waged against us, and, and we're apologizing. <laughs> I mean, not, I mean, forgiving. I'm sorry, forgiving, forgiving white people in the middle of a, in the middle of a, a war against us. You know, that doesn't. It just is an indicator of our, uh, my, our confusion. Uh, uh, contempt of black people by white people can be can be measured by the complaints white people have of the president, first lady, and their children. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a constant story every day, every day since they've been in office, literally every day, you know, about white people, about, uh, about uh, uh, the, the whole family or individually, you know, whatever. The latest is, of course, uh, Mrs. Obama uh, and, and you know, of white people interpreting her uh, body language and, you know, so on and so forth. And in comparison to the whites who were in those positions, it, it was, you know, totally different. Uh, uh, contempt, uh, I mean, uh, Kevin Kovner, the Kevin, the Kevin Kovner movie, uh, to me is just another great white hero movie where the white character is, is, is being built up and uh, the the black uh, characterizations of the black person or black people in the movie uh, is put down, and it, it gives like a, uh, uh, a a scenario for the uh, audience uh, to to uh, to uh, make a, a a decision on who is who is uh, the the best possible person for. Uh, the the uh, in this case the white child or children, uh, and and we know how that's going to turn out, it, uh, it's, it, you know, and uh, so he's not he's not fooling me or anything, you know, uh, racist suspect Kevin Costner. Uh, the uh, uh, last but not least, uh, there was a, uh, one of your reports had something about uh, enforcement officials. Uh, that uh, reside in the area where they where they patrol. Uh, I actually grew up in an environment where the enforcement official uh, stayed in the general area uh, where he patrolled. His name was uh, his his name was Gibson, and uh, he stayed in the area. Uh, if he if he worshipped, I, I didn't know him real well because I was such a young child, and and he was 
you know, of course, an adult, quote-unquote adult. Uh, and, but nevertheless, I do recall that he stayed in the area. Uh, also, uh, as a uh, side job, he built additions to uh, black people's homes. Uh, it was, a, of course, it, it was a non-white black, black male. And matter of fact, he built the addition to, to the home that I grew up in. And uh, if, he, if he did go to church, he, he went to church in a, in a, in a, uh, a place that's somewhere around. So the, the, point I'm, the point I'm making on it is, is that more than likely someone who, who has that kind of close proximity to the area where they patrol is probably going to be a, I could be wrong, but it's probably going to be a low content of them uh, uh, causing heinous, heinous uh, uh, activity uh, towards those very people where, where, they, where they work at. And uh, thank you, and go on to the next person. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, greetings. This is Universal Jones. So I, I uh, came in a little later in the news clips um, with the ASU police brutality clip. found it very interesting how the attorney and the cop uh, met with a local preacher, I believe it's Reverend Mapin, um, and they just sounded so gleeful and cheerful, and they just had such a good time uh, having lunch with the local black preacher. Um, <laughs> to kind of calm things down, it's you know standard operating procedure. Uh, the cop who was interviewed on the radio station came on and said he had a blast with the preacher, and it's you know the same tacky um, tactics that happened. It reminded me a lot of um, Henry Louis Gates when he got arrested out of his own home, and uh, President Obama had was forced to meet with. Um, the police officer at the White House and have a beer. I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, the second thing was uh, um, the Maryville racist clip um, <laughs> where the white man was harassing and being terroristic with the, uh, the black female who worked inside the restaurant and told her that, uh, you know, do you want to have a party? And, you know, I'll take you where I hung your grandfather. I mean, these things are just extremely terroristic. Uh, the emotional trauma that happens on a daily basis to people. I mean, this lady, this young woman is just ringing up his mill, and he's being terroristic at his old age and also talking about um, how he wants to show her where he hung her grandfather. I, I mean, this type of stuff happens all the time, and, and I believe it's been stated on the broadcast before in the house that where, where did all these racists go that were smiling in these uh, hanging pictures and things like that? They're still out there. Um, and that's your local McDonald's <laughs> uh, deciding that they want to show you where they hung your your um, forebears or your family members. So it's, it's a lot of tacking is still going on. And then the last news clip that I found very interesting was the Kevin Costner clip. I mean, this guy, Kevin Costner, I mean, I think he might be going for the, the quote-unquote multicultural uh, White Knight Award when it comes to movies. <laughs> I mean, he's in every movie where he's being the white savior for a non-white person. Uh, and, and I have no intentions of seeing this black and white movie. But it sounds like it's just going to be another um, piece of confusion as far as media comes. So, and also with this follow-up movie, the Disney movie, with, the, with the, uh, what, it, what he called the churro children. 
are the little Latinos who want to play baseball. So, I mean, this, we are at war. Uh, you know, racists are just coming from all ends and angles, and we have to be on our P's and Q's. And greetings to all my counter-racist cousins. I've been away for a while, and that is all I have to say for now. Yes, sir. Um, uh, yeah, greetings to uh, Gus, the host, and the listeners and callers. Um, a few things I caught on to, like the, the mail that just spoke. Um, at the end of that clip, I guess it, they were on the radio talking about the uh, professor at uh, ASU. I noticed that when, um, when they were ending the segment, I guess one of the hosts said, you know, I, I wish you well or something or good luck for the attorney, you know, the cop, and I guess the reverend and ASU, but didn't mention, you know, the victim, you know, didn't mention the, the black female. And uh, I think that could be another act of um, white supremacy. And um, I noticed also that in the Kevin Costner clip, he said, he said Anthony Mackie he said something that he I guess he considered was street now you know I don't know what that meant you know I mean it could be a cold term but what he said was I guess uh, I couldn't remember but it sounded like something that would just be said you know just every day normally you know what makes something that's normally said street I mean he made it seem like it's some kind of you know um language that's from another planet i mean he was able to repeat it so i mean does that make him street you know uh so yeah and um the the females the black females that were uh i guess that you said gus were being called on uh, names you know for um taking a uh, counter act against racism i noticed they they mentioned you know that the same the same terms that uh, the white people in charge they'll say, oh well, you know we're going to have to um, send the the uh, racist perpetrators to uh, get sensitivity training. It, it seemed that seemed to always be the language that's used, and you know we do not tolerate. You know it's like that seemed to um, then codified to respond. To when um, uh, racial incidents happen. So, yeah, just a lot of just a lot of the same patterns they keep recycling and throwing at us. But I, it still seems like a lot of the victims in the clips, are for, unfortunately, you know, seem to be shocked. You know, um, well, you know, it's 2015. You know, it's not supposed to be happening. And like that one lady said in the clip, also. She said, uh, you know, until you until it happens to you, you have no idea how painful it is. You know, that's a, that's a true statement. So, yeah, that's pretty much all the observations I had. You can go on to the next person. Can I be heard? Uh, yes, ma'am. Yeah. All right. I was, I was listening. I just got a couple... Um, 
things that I, I wanted to point out at the Kevin Costner interview. He kept referring to um, Whitney Houston as girl, and we wanted to pick a you know a good girl that can sing and all of this girl and you know from Mr. Um, Nilly Fuller Jr. when they you know how they refer to us. I think it just speaks to their um, their high love of pedophilia too. Um, on that one, and the one where the the guy that assaulted that um, the police officer assaulted the professor. Um, that's how I look at it. And he said, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I just had a great, I don't know if you said grand old time, but I just had so much fun, and I could just see how he could be laughing in the back of his head, like, ooh, I just had a grand time. I got to hang around with the with, with the Negroes close up, and it was just so much fun. And, and so <clears throat> I just want to end it by saying that um, this disgusting behavior, it sickens me. And um, But I sure appreciate the cows learning a lot, appreciate the listeners um, and, and their and their views. So thank you so much for, for this program and for the listeners, and thank you. And I, I'll stop right there. Can I be Hello? Hello? Uh, I heard both of you. Go ahead, sir. Oh, thank you. Um, How you doing? Thomas Smith calling from New York. Um, I had a few observations I made from the clips. Um, They kind of mirrored other people. Um, I agree with the first first caller when when he said he thinks that we're the indigenous people here, not the African, but that's another (laughs) topic. But then um, the cop from the um, ASU who racially attacked the professor and they say he met with the community leader and just had a blast and you know as long as white people are having a blast talking about racism we, we're never going to solve the problem um, as for Michelle Obama going to meet with the Saudi family in their desert sanctuary over there and they expected her to wear black and she didn't and they said that she disrespected them and how the white people seem to love it, you know. And um, I remember when, with all the flack Obama's gotten, um, the only time he they've ever spoken positively about him is when he was bombing um, Gaddafi and um, um, started to bomb Assad before Russia got involved. And um, as long as they have them killing non-white people, they seem to be cool with them. Um, not that I, you know have too much love for the Arabs because um, of what they, I mean, next to white people, I don't think anyone has done black people worse than them. Um, just look at Northern Africa. But that was all observations I made. I agree. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Um, I just wanted to go over... Um, a few things in regards to um, just uh, fear, um, just white people saying that they fear um, black people. And, you know, I just kind of looked up on the Internet just some of the the most common fears that people have just in general. And, of course, they listed stuff like heights, public speaking, death, 
um, water, stuff like that. And uh, I just wanted to put to rest, like, <clears throat> these people say they fear us. Most of the time when your response to fear would be avoiding whatever it is, staying away from it. You're terrified. You want to be away from it. And um, that's definitely not what white people want to do. Um, they just want to pretty much practice racism, racism against us. And uh, deception is <clears throat> one of their biggest um, things that they use. Uh, that uh, that interview with, uh, I believe her name is Susan Patton. Um, you know, I listened to that um, entire, pretty much that entire interview. And I just wanted to point out another thing that, uh, you know, white people, she, she kept, you know, pushing that fear thing that white people fear us. Um, one thing I noticed, I just wanted to talk about um, a white person that I knew was kind of, uh, I, want, I want to say, uh, describing me. This white person was describing me to other people uh, because they had never met me and they were, uh, they were going to meet me somewhere. So this white person was, was describing me. They added like several, like, inches to my height and uh, probably... 20 to 30 pounds, you know, they describe me as being, oh, they're, they're, he's about 6'2", and he's ripped, he's cut, uh, and just describing me, and I'm like, who is this person that they're, you know, they're describing? That's not me, you know, I'm like much shorter than that. Uh, I'm not a fat, you know, I'm, my body build is, I would be classified as probably skinny for most people. But uh, he just added on all these extra uh, things for me. And I think white people, they do that for two different reasons. Uh, for one, if there's, any, if there's ever any situation where <clears throat> there's something physical, something physically happens to you or something, then um, let's say particularly, or let's say something, if something physical goes down, they could say that you were this big, um, giant brute of a person that may be attacked them. Now, if something physically, physically goes down, happens, and let's say you're on the short end of the stick, let's say you get either beat up or something, uh, that'll also give them extra points for their uh, bravery or, their, or, or them just taking you down physically if, they were, if that so happened to be the case. So um, it's just one of those uh, things I just wanted to... Um, discuss and uh, share with everyone. I'm sure uh, people have their um, different opinions, but that's all I have. I'll probably have some more stuff for uh, uh, racism in the workplace. Thank you. Greetings, everyone. This is uh, Scotty from North Carolina. Um, I'll try to be brief and concise in my commentary. I wanted to echo the sentiments, but I want to make sure that I'm not victim blaming uh, South African, but I put that in my notes, uh, black people who are victims of the white people in uh, South Africa. But I did write in my notes that black people do seem to be uh, too forgiving and they seem to lack the will to completely destroy uh, their enemies. Um, I believe this is the major reason why global white supremacists are on top right now because they are able, well, I don't even know if they have a morality chip. Um, but, you know, uh, I do think we are moral and spiritual people, but if we're going to engage in warfare, we got to learn how to turn that chip off. Um, I think that perhaps this is, other than being a moral 
and spiritual people. I think also it has to do with brainwashing under religions, uh, specifically Christianity and what it teaches about forgiveness. Um, I don't know the lady, obviously, who was commenting, so I don't know if she was forgiven, you know, this racist killer who killed her mother um, because she was trying to find peace within herself, and that was the only way she could find it was to forgive him, but I most certainly would not have been uh, speaking out for him to be uh, released. We do not see, for example, um, guards who uh, were, uh, you know, in the German army, uh, particularly those who were uh, stationed at concentration camps who are still being hunted down to this day and put on trial. I do not see their victims calling for forgiveness of them and, and anything uh, like that. And um, so I, 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 don't, I don't want people to take this as victim blaming. It's just an observation. Um, of course, I got a comment on North Carolina. Um, North Carolina... Um, I actually knew one of the people that participated in that attack in Greensboro. His name was Virgil Griffith. Um, my uncle uh, once got in a shootout with him and, you know, didn't kill him but grazed him. And, um, yeah, they were, he was known around Mount Holly. Um, I went to school with his son. Um, that happened in 1979, and that is when um, my immediate family, we had just returned from Detroit and came back down here, you know, to, you know, quote, unquote, the homeland here in North Carolina. And I went to school with Virgil Griffin's son, and I was still, like, in my uh, street gang-banging mentality, and I used to terrorize his son in uh, high school until, you know, one day he told me, well, I don't believe the same things as my father's. And I left him alone, and I'm not saying that that was correct behavior. On my behalf, I had that game-banging mentality. I liked to fight, and I was trying to pick a fight with him so I could beat him down. And, um, you know, I noticed that he was always wearing bummy clothes, holes in his shoes. They were really what, what they, what other white people call poor white trash. Uh, Virgil Griffin used to work at a gas station here, and he, he, he uh, died like a couple of years ago. And, uh, but he used to work at a gas station, uh, you know, in Mount Holly, and I was like a teenager at the time, and we used to just go there, which was kind of stupid on our part, but we were teens. But we used to go there just to make them pump our gas. And, and, and whatnot. We knew who he was, and we would go there, but we shouldn't have been going there giving our money to, you know, the white supremacists that ran a gas station. Um, but, um, yeah, again, this reminds me again of that movie Clansville, USA, which was based on a clan here in North Carolina and trying to portray them as being nonviolent and whatnot. Now, I know that film was focusing on the time period of the 1960s, but again, uh, the book Negroes with Guns debunks that whole notion that they were um, nonviolent. Now, on the law enforcement collusion, uh, the law enforcement collusion that I think was spoke about, but I also looked it up, um, that reminded me also from the documentary uh, Clansville, USA, and how it tried to portray like the FBI came in, you know, to take them down. 
and and uh but really it was a lot of law enforcement collusion we even see that today uh law enforcement officers who are members of the kkk we just seen saw a story come out of florida not that long ago uh two of their officers uh being found out to be members of the kkk but the um what i learned from that greensboro attack was that the fbi knew of the pending attack and did nothing because they had an atf of the uh what is the alcohol tobacco firearms agent who had infiltrated the uh uh Klux clan and so he knew that it was going to be violence it was going to happen uh in greensboro uh, against the communist party and those black uh people and they did nothing they didn't do anything to stop it they didn't step in uh they probably told police not to have a heavy presence so that they can have an excuse to say well you know we didn't have enough people and uh that's why this happened we weren't able to control it and so again that just again speaks to the deception and the complicity of the united states government you know, in white, in the practice of white supremacy, you know, the refined white supremacists using quote unquote poor white trash to carry out their violence. Um, and the last thing is, is on the UNC uh, wanting to change the students wanting to change the uh, building name from uh, William Sanders, a uh, white supremacist Confederate soldier, uh, later became Secretary of State or something. I don't know if that was in North Carolina, if that was for the the United States. Um, that again remind me of a similar situation that's going on right now uh, down there at Clemson University, which you know y'all played the clip of the university communications professor down there. He is the one that alerted me to what was going on with the same thing with the building being named after a white supremacist. And I think that that is, I think that is kind of racism. I think that when these black students uh, work to remove the names of these white supremacists, uh, which was done on purpose, obviously, just to remind us, um, I, think that, I think that is constructive behavior. I think it is counter racism. And then when you look at all the money that is being uh, generated off of black bodies by way of sports for these universities, oh, yes, I think that they have every right in the world uh, to uh, demand the, ch the name change of these buildings instead of being passive and, you know, being reminded of, of white supremacy or, you know, this campus that they are contributing to greatly to, you know, to, to allow it to have these names. So I, I just think that that is a, a constructive uh, uh, act of counter-racism when they were to change the names of those buildings. That's all I got. Thank you. Hello? Hello, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, I just, you know, this is my first time calling. I just wanted to say thank you to, to Gus for this show. And I really learned a lot from this show. I've uh, been listening since like 2009. Uh, but I just wanted to say that, uh, and thanks to uh, Scotty Reed too for what he's doing. But um, I just wanted to say, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I don't know a lot about. Uh, uh, Boyce Watkins, but, you know, I just don't, I don't see, you know, I haven't checked him out um, directly, but I don't see why he has this uh, Susan Patton on his show. I think he even said that, you know, she was his friend, maybe a good friend or something like that. And, uh, you know, it seems to me like, uh, you know, 
um, you know, it's like she's trying to, um, the, it seems to me like the white supremacists like to, to send in a person to, to confuse and, and things like that. So, you know, I think in the past they had like a, a law or maybe something where they were saying that, you know, maybe I'm wrong about this, but it's, they were saying something like no no three or more blacks could meet without a white person present. So that's kind of what that reminds me of. And, you know, I just know, I thought it was interesting that she said uh, people like us and his listeners, they make people like her want to stay away. But then she, she said that the people at Fox, you know, they were her friends. And, and even though some of them are over the top, you know, but she still doesn't want to stay away from them, you know. Um, secondly, you know, yesterday, um, during that book reading, I, I heard someone mention, uh, you know, that if the, if the whites didn't have blacks to oppress, that they would like turn on each other. And that reminded me of, uh, this guest that Gus had from that white supremacy group who was saying that, you know, the black people need to separate from the white people and everybody needs to live with their own people, but, you know, it's just like, just like with, uh, Susan Patton, you, you know, the white supremacist culture, you gotta have, uh, some white people there to control, and so, you know, him being a white supremacist, you know, he, you know, it's just interesting that they say that, but, you know, they, they couldn't really have that, otherwise the white supremacy wouldn't be functioning, because, they wouldn't be controlling us if, if we were on our own. Uh, you know, I finally, one thing that he did say, you know, that, you know, I found interesting that he said that, uh, you know, Holly Berry could, could live in their, in their community and that, uh, she wasn't black. And when he said that, you know, his voice to me sounded really, unsure, you know, and I, I thought when he said it that it was kind of kind of silly of him to say that. But I heard something recently from a black person that was uh, kind of in agreement with him and it was pretty interesting. And uh, it just reminded me of like when Nelly Fuller saying that the white supremacists are really smart because, you know, the reason to me that his voice might have kind of went unsure is because he might have been revealing something that's more secretive in, uh, in their culture. Uh, um, you know, I, I guess I'll just leave it right there. And, uh, you know, that uh, that's, that's just what I had to say. So thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. First-time caller. Good to hear from first-time callers. Um uh, just quickly, I'm a mute so that other folks, if you have not shared, uh, you should be able to get in as well. But I just wanted to get in uh, quickly. Uh, number one, that piece about the uh, massacre, white terrorism down in North Carolina in 79. I thought it was not a small fact that this group of what they call communists, whatever that means, these white people, that they decided to hold this death to the clally uh death to the clan rally specifically in a black 
residential area after they had been, you know, passing out leaflets and trying to uh, antagonize some sort of violent conflict with the Klan, uh, that they go into a black neighborhood <laughs> where this shootout takes place. Like, no coincidences. Um, and also, uh, just quickly, the uh, with Eugene DeCock, he served 20 years, unless I've been misinformed. Nelson Mandela, who to my knowledge didn't kill anybody, was in prison for 27 years. 27, didn't kill anybody directly. 20, death squad leader. Hmm. I will meet my line. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Hello, greetings, Gus. This is uh, Puff. Uh, just listening to the comments. Um, you sound much better today. I hope you're feeling better. Um, just want to make a few quick comments uh, about this Whitney Houston situation. Um, I feel like racism was being uh, portrayed by this, by the, by the uh, like this other man. Uh, earlier said, you know, a multicultural superhero, or you know, of of sorts. He's really caping hard for for the cause. And something I didn't know when when he was talking about uh, Whitney Houston as a girl. That was the first time I had heard that him say that. But you know, I know that's not his. You know, that's that's his. He's speaking his quote-unquote heart and from his true feelings of a girl and also you know I feel like he didn't respect number one that she's passed away and then number two that uh during the time of filming the bodyguard he started talking about the bodyguard while he's talking about this other movie um what I feel like uh with with this Whitney Houston situation he says that uh that that what he's not respecting the boundaries in other words of them being married. She was a married woman at the time. Uh a beautiful girl that can sing. You making a sexual observation about somebody that is you know in the confines of of marriage there. And come to think of it all white people didn't respect their uh their union as far as being married because, you know, at the funeral for Whitney Houston, uh, Bobby Brown was married to Whitney Houston for 14 years and still was not allowed to to uh, observe in her funeral. Uh, and and I, I feel like they just didn't respect uh, their marriage at all. Uh, now, this other, but, but this uh, Kevin Costner, uh, I I didn't. I, he brought out some things that I didn't know through that interview. He he says that um that that they were uh in other words, I didn't know the background or the story. It was just you know they are affluent, live in Brentwood, and the black people that the girl is the girl in the movie, his granddaughter is descended from. Uh, people from South Central. So, in other words, just from that synopsis right there, I mean, it seems like you know they they are saving them, quote unquote. He's he's saving her. So you know he's a he's a real multicultural superhero. Uh, 
in in you know in their estimation, but he's trying to put put forth the the agenda that white people have to quote unquote save black people. If they were left left where they are, they would be much you know less fortunate. In other words, and of course, no no uh, black people you know are wealthy too, but you know. They don't. They don't put forth the same scenario. You know, black people have been been raising white children, white people's children for years. Do you understand? And so, you know, there's no there's no uh, uh, affluent uh, black family uh, supporting, the, and then the white family come from a trailer park or something. See, that's that scenario not even being put out there. So, uh, you know, that's that's all I have. I agree. I agree with that. Um, you don't see too many movies um, coming from that perspective. Uh, we have about 13 minutes before we get to workplace racism. Uh, did we miss anybody? Anybody have hand up who didn't did not get to share at all? Wonderful. Hey, hey, so quickly, um, I just see on the news here where uh, Whitney's Houston's daughter was found in the bathtub, um, OD, and they she's in the hospital right now. But she was non-responsive when they brought her there. Oh, that sounds more serious. I saw uh, it reported earlier, but it didn't. It didn't sound as serious uh, as that. That sounds a bit more, a bit more serious. That uh, wow. She's in, She's in a medically induced coma. Ooh. Ooh. <clears throat> Did you um see the interview? I don't know when the when the interview was done today, but um not to marginalize uh, Miss Houston, but there was an interview earlier that I saw earlier this morning with uh um. With um, about the uh, the show Empire on um, on your favorite um, NBC MSNBC uh, Melissa Harris what's her name? Melissa yeah you see her uh, her show this morning uh, I didn't watch recently? it this this morning but I that would not encourage me to view it at all because I uh, <laughs> I can't say I'm boycotting but uh, I will not devote one second of my uh, mental abilities and thinking time energy to uh, Empire uh, Lee Daniels as I said before he is persona non grata uh, he's a victim I'm not bashing him but mm-hmm, I'm just mm-hmm. not going to invest any time to view anything that he's done I've seen many of his I, I've seen a, a significant chunk of his body of work and I do not expect anything constructive this does not sound like a deviation from what I would expect so I'm not watching it and I'm not interested in hearing anything about it it was, uh, it was uh, interesting to watch these black women that she had talking about the show <laughs> That's that right there is more than I'm even interested in hearing about it <laughs> yeah, well, because they, you know, they weren't the only show they talked. They were talking about 
the black women on all the shows, like Scandal, um, Viola Davis character, and um, and the show Empire, and uh, she had three black women and a white man on there talking about these shows on there, and I thought it was just an interesting take on what the black women have to say about these black women playing these roles. Because I, I haven't seen any of these shows, so... Um, if nobody there had any comments to say about Viola Davis being called an animal this week uh, and <laughs> the significance, no. then I would say that I don't know if they've seen the show or, or we apparently are, are picking out very different things about, you know, this show in particular, how to get away with murder. But uh, did anybody see the shooting that happened in uh, Colorado? I did want to get this in. Uh, and then if you all, whatever else you all want to get up before we get to workplace racism, the shoot where it was a, a female, she was shot in a vehicle that was reported stolen. And uh, they said that she either lurched forward or what she hit one of the officers with the vehicle and they shot and killed her. She was a teenager. Um, that it, do y'all know what I'm talking about? Yes, no. Uh oh, oh, dang. <laughs> if people if people don't know about it, then I can't get my my question in. Um, I I the photos that I saw, I didn't think she was a white person. She definitely didn't look black, but I was not uh, totally certain that white people would accept her uh, as being white. Um, but yeah, I was just gonna see if people thought she was white or non-white. But if you all don't know about it, then. Okay. I, I did hear about it. Oh, okay. I just had my had my line muted. It, it, it showed uh, uh, one of the uh, I saw it on Yahoo. Uh, it showed uh, one of the uh, family members, and that family member did not. The, the family family member looked like a non-white black person. Non-white black person. Okay. Did it, which was this like a parent or you know? Uncle, grandma. I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it, it was. Uh, as we're talking, I'm, 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 I'm going to attempt to uh, to uh, go on it uh, because it should still be it should still be on the uh, on uh, Yahoo. That, that's matter of fact. This story, that story has been running for what about the last couple of days or something like that. Oh yeah, at least since Monday. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, and it the the, the, the survivor, one of the survivor's family members, definitely was not a white person. Mm. <laughs> you know, uh, but uh, hold on. Uh, I'm kind of like real slow at this. <laughs> While you're looking, Sundance Film Festival was off the chain. Like, I, I really want to try to go next year. Uh, as a goal to be there to uh, broadcast, I mean, everything. They have a brand new documentary on uh, the Black Panthers. Uh, it's Black Panthers, uh, Vanguard of the Revolution. Stanley Nelson did it. He's a black male. He's done a lot of films uh, directly about racism. There's a new documentary on Jordan Davis, uh, Three and a Half Minutes. Uh, there's a documentary where uh, another cowbell, Jameis Winston, the quarterback at Florida State, the I think it's a white girl that accused him of sexual misconduct. She is in the documentary, The Hunting Ground. 
Uh, the New York Times did a big review of it. Uh, that was at Sundance. Uh, and I think there's at least one more. But those three, that would have been enough. But I think there were some other films as well that were directly about racism. Uh, you can, They did lots of interviews and clips. Uh, I would encourage taking a look at those. I think all of them are supposed to be out for major release later this year. Uh, the Hunting Ground, Black Panthers, uh, Vanguard of the Revolution, and three and a half minutes on uh, Jordan Davis. Uh, they had Jordan Davis's parents as well as the white, and it is unfortunately a white man who did three and a half minutes, but whatever. Uh, they had all three of them on Democracy Now! this week for almost the full hour, and they also had uh, Stanley Nelson and uh, Kathleen Cleaver uh, on Democracy Now! Friday, uh, also for almost a full hour, talking about the film and racism, so I would encourage uh, checking that out. Uh, Gus, in, in what way can, can we uh, fund that, that effort? Uh, it. I just got the idea this week. Uh, maybe that is a, a Kickstarter uh, campaign uh, to hit okay. Sundance because I would love to uh, just to have. I was just like, wow, I really missed the boat on that to like because I could have tried to interview all of them uh, and Amy Goodman to boot. And I'm sure they had some other stuff that was uh, interesting. But, yeah, that is 20, uh, 2016. Be there for Sundance. Would have been Dear White People okay. last year. <laughs> I'll I'll send an email with my questions. Gus? Yes, ma'am. Uh, if you would just allow me a quick comment about Lee Daniels. Uh, I just want to make the comment that Lee, I believe that Lee Daniels is a victim of white supremacy, as you pointed out. But he is also instrumental in carrying out the white agenda. Therefore, he has been afforded his position battle races to carry out their agenda, uh, gay agenda, everything. And that's it. That's all I want to say. Right on that. <laughs> I don't, uh, I'm cool. <laughs> moving forward, I've already made my conclusion on that victim and moving forward. I don't wish him any harm. Hopefully uh, he can become less confused as can I. And uh, we all work to try to solve this problem immediately. Um, That story is gone, Gus. Oh no! I'll look myself. Folks should look for that. At least, Go ahead. at least from from Yahoo. That as I'm as I'm looking for it. Because hmm. it's been it's because it, I've seen it for at least the last three, maybe four days, and it always had this this uh, female, non-white black female, uh, and and the picture of the victim of the murder victim was in small silhouette. And uh, I don't see it anymore. Hmm. I'm, I'm sure if folks really want to check it out, they can, uh, they can find it. Just take a gander. Um, they people, you know, I've seen people protesting and with their signs and everything, um, you know, might be worth taking a look to see whatever conclusion you come to. Uh, Anybody have anything else they want to get in before we get to workplace racism? Oh, just a quick. Oh, just a quick note on on Colorado shooting. Um, But um, just to remind people about the um, uh, racist white terrorists who shot up the Colorado theater. Uh, They are picking jury members for his trial is about to go on, and they seem to be having trouble with a lot of people want to be excused from it. So I don't know what that's about. James Holmes, the white knight terrorist. 
taken into custody, not shot 137 times. Mm-hmm. The, uh, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Okay. But just real quick about the story in Denver. I looked up something on um, Google, and um, I think she's a Latino because I understand the Colorado Latino Forum, they're asking for a special prosecutor, you know, to, I guess, review the police actions. The last name is Hernandez, but I also do realize we know that they're, you know, uh, probably Latinos that look more white and classified, you know, have been classified as white oh. by white people. But I think I think this young lady is a uh, Latino. Um, yeah, she is. I read that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did read yeah. that. I read that a little while ago. Right. This is right four days ago. Mm-hmm. And even the picture, like you said, uh, I mean, cause for me, when I look at the picture, it's just like, okay, well, she's not a white girl, but uh, I think she is Latino because, you know, I could say the, the Latino, uh, the form is asked for a special prosecutor. So that's all I wanted to say. Oh, I thought uh, two things I'll, I'll get in real quick. There were a lot of uh, good reports uh, this week that I, stuff that I, that I had and, and didn't play and wished I had made time for. Um, but I also thought the weather situation in New York, uh, I think Thomas in New York had said that they uh, shut everything down, no driving, all that. And he saw non-white people, black people being uh, arrested, placed in, in greater confinement and whites uh, at the same time that this uh, curfew was supposed to be in effect. They were out uh, having snowball fights and just gallivanting around, having a grand old time. Like uh, even under conditions of blizzards, you still got racism, white supremacy. White blizzards. It never lets up. Never. Ever, ever. Mm-hmm. Ever. Yeah, um, and actually, this, in my opinion, it's getting worse. I really do think it is. And. I don't know if it's headed somewhere, but I think it's getting worse. Because I mean, like you said, the guy said white people out there having snowball fights, having a good time. Black people out there getting arrested. You know, I just I think it's, it's it's getting worse, and it's headed to a place where I don't know. I I can't speak on that. You know, I don't have any insight, but it's headed to something. It's headed to something. Right on. We will uh, get to workplace racism uh, for folks who would like to participate. Definitely chime in. The number to dial is 760-569-7676. And the code is 564-943-POUND. Press star six if you would like to participate. We got through the uh, whole conversation with no commentary about the Super Bowl. Grand, grand. Um, workplace racism. Um, I'm sure Dr. Welsing will get a word in about that tomorrow. Uh, I thought it was great uh, to start off uh, one of our listeners. He's with us now. Uh, Thomas in New York uh, wrote in to share uh, just the importance of, of really paying attention to the news. Uh, I can't stress that enough. I was even thinking with some of the guests uh, that we had on this past week uh, and the, the audio segments uh, for the compensatory call in, like just paying attention to the news is so, I mean, it's constantly, it is, it is amazing. Like if you do a Google alert for the term racism, you would be astounded uh, at how just bam, bam, it's constant because that is the dominant activity 
on the planet. So, you know, you, you it is an it is an aspect of counter racism. It is an aspect of conducting ses- a successful military strategy to get intel. Not saying everything you read in the newspaper or see in the news or if you listen to it on the news, not saying that it's true. But to even be able to pick out the deception, you got to be informed. You at least got to know, you know, this is what they are reporting. And then I will investigate to see where they are not being honest, which is standard operating procedure. But I mean, really make an effort to be informed locally, nationally, globally. It is the dominant activity on the planet. Uh, to that end, uh, I think Bruce Fine, she had uh, chimed in uh, Thursday, I think. And she was talking about the black CEO at McDonald's uh, stepping down and how this impacted the uh, the stock for uh, the McDonald's company went up as this black male was uh, let go. And the, the ramifications uh, of racism, white supremacy, one of our listeners wrote in and he said, Thomas in New York said, uh, I'm in the elevator uh, bank with two partners from my firm uh, going down to the lobby. They were in a conversation about a client they both share. As we entered the elevator, there were two white men already on the elevator well-dressed older white men, more than likely partners at another law firm in the building. They knew the two partners from my firm and shook hands. I was shocked they all knew each other. White's network. They started a huge conversation with each other, and of course, thank God, I was excluded. So I just listened and observed. Do recon, say that all the time. They got into a conversation about McDonald's because that was where the two men who were already on the elevator were going to for lunch. One of the partners from my firm said, did you hear about the CEO situation snickering? Who is the new CEO? And one of the men who was already on the elevator said, yep, no shock. That guy was running them into the ground and the new CEO looks like a much better fit. The other guy said, I guess we know why the chicken nuggets have been on sale so much. They all burst out in laughter and then the doors opened and everyone scattered. If the lady never mentioned that the CEO who is stepping down from the McDonald's was black on last night's program, I would not have caught that racist comment. I guess the black CEO was all about the fried chicken nuggets. Stay informed. Constantly happening. Uh, And I would say this would put another hole in the uh, absurdity that whites are confused or ignorant or don't talk about racism. That is pure nonsense. I say to the exact contrary, they are hyper conscious of racism and are so adept at it they can get their racist jokes right in front of another black person and we've got this codified so they won't even know that we're talking about you and you chicken eating niggers yes right now on the elevator on our way to the this is happening every day uh this is not even the first time someone said just based on information they heard on the program they were uh, either on the job or in another public setting and they overheard white's talking and making racist comments but they were doing it in a real coded way i think one time using the phrase monday to refer to black people i think another time it was canadians that was another one to refer to black people and uh he said it was obvious once you know what canadians is code for what they were saying but if you're not informed you think white people are ignorant you think that they just need racial sensitivity 
you will be totally confused uh, that racists, white terrorists, everywhere, all the time, that's what they're thinking about constantly. But I thought that was a great catch. I uh, appreciate Bruce Fine for sharing the uh, McDonald's information. Uh, folks have commentary on workplace racism. Your line should be open. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Um, yes, um, I'm going into the, uh, I guess, the sports area or the entertainment area of uh, people activity. And it's just amazing that, um, you know, what Neely Fuller Jr. says about, you know, racism covering all aspects of people activity. There's absolutely nothing you can do pretty much without racism being involved, it seems like. Um, but basically, uh, I'm in the military. Uh, I'm being, you know, I just transferred to a new duty station. I'm being introduced by my boss to the, you know, the group of people that I'll be working with for the next three years. So, you know, my boss introduces me uh, in, in a, you know, the forum and basically states that, you know, oh, hi, this is so-and-so. Um, we're glad to have him. Um, and he's going to be a great help for our basketball team because our, you know, our workspace had a, like a, a intramural basketball team. And I've played basketball with him at a prior to me uh, transferring to this new duty station. And, um, and, you know, I kind of, at the time I didn't really think about it. And I had some other, uh, some coworkers, some black coworkers kind of like, did you hear what he said when he introduced you? And, it, and I kind of brushed it off at the time. I don't think I was really, you know, I'm very, even prior to listening to um, the cows, I was pretty aware of racism. But at the time, it's just like they hit you so many times from so many angles that you, you kind of, <laughs> some things will, will fly over your head. You're just used to it. Uh, another incident with this same boss, <clears throat> uh, he's a big, <clears throat> and I'm, I'm going on sports again, he's a huge football fan of uh, uh, a, a particular football team, big fan of this particular football team. So he was talking about a particular player on one of these teams just out of the blue. And I got, got a sense that he said it around me just to, get, to put his racist feelers out to see how I would, re, re, would respond to his comments. So he said, man, I hate this uh, one player. I hate this guy. This guy, I bought his jersey. I wasted my money. I'm going to, I'm going to burn his jersey or I'm going to, uh, he said something to a point where he's, I forgot if he said, I think several things. I'm going to burn his jersey. I'm going to uh, throw it out my car window while I'm on the freeway or I'm going to uh, just give it away for free. Um, and then he started going to, and I'm like, oh, why, why don't you like this guy? He basically said that this guy, I guess he has so many uh, uh, quote unquote baby mamas. He was out here procreating with a lot of women, a lot of different women. And uh, he asked me, hey, what do you th are you a fan of his? What do you think about him? And uh, I kind of, and at the time, he sucked me into it. I should have just stepped out of it, but I was like, uh, I don't agree with uh, his, you know, behavior off the field. And, um, you know, I didn't, you know, I don't agree with just procreating with all types of women and just, you know, having different baby mamas all over the place. But, um, <clears throat> but then I had to, I reflected afterwards, and I was like, wow, he, he drug me into his little racist uh, thoughts or whatever. And I should have, one thing we really have to get into, especially black males, uh, we should really start 
not being so into these sports. I know you say that a lot, Gus. We are too much time is being spent talking about sports, claiming teams, being so faithful to these teams, and these white people are practicing racism just by discussing sports. You know, you hear about the black quarterback that is so athletic, so strong, he's a beast, he's a monster. But, of course, um, what they're thinking is this guy's he's a complete idiot. You know, he's, he's dumb. We need to really separate, stop. I don't, you know, I used to be a big sports fan. I don't, I don't care. I'm not making any money. It's not doing anything for, my, for black people. It's not doing anything for me. Stop. Worrying, worrying about these sports. We spend too much time on it, begin to fight and arguments over it. But that was two instances where um, my, my boss was uh, practicing racism um, uh, in the workplace. That's all I, all I have. Thank you. I got a racist joke. I'm trying to remember how he said it, though. Good <laughs> job. But how he said, he said, um, what is the difference between um, black people and St. Patrick's Day? And I said, I don't know what. He says, uh, well, everybody wants to be Irish. And I said, who in the hell wants to be Irish? my comeback but when I think about it I'm like okay we're in the you know MLK birthday just passed you know, it's probably the joke is probably supposed to go what's the difference between MLK day and St. Patrick's Day I missed the joke can you repeat it can you repeat the joke the joke the racist told me when he told me, he said, what was the difference between black people and St. Patrick's Day? And I said, I don't know what. And he said, well, well, on St. Patrick's Day, everybody wants to be Irish. And when I come back was, you know, well, who in the hell wants to be Irish? You know, not even Europeans want to be Irish. So I was like, <laughs> and it makes sense, but now that I think about it, Probably thought, think about it. The joke was probably supposed to go, what's the difference between MLK Day and St. Patrick's Day? So that makes more sense. Because you know, on St. Patrick's Day, everybody wants to be Irish. Nobody wants to be MLK. Because MLK did. He was sacked So that's probably how it's supposed to go. What are you doing? Go ahead. All right, can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Um, Gus, I know a few minutes ago you were saying that you were happy that no one mentioned anything about the Super Bowl. Um, but I'm getting ready to, but um, in the context of I think this is um, on the job, racism, uh, what happened on media day uh, between um, – Bilichick and um, one of the Patriots' uh, four-year-old uh, black daughter, she was uh, interviewing him. And I'm just going to read a, a 
a uh, paragraph here. It says, amid the zaniness that is media day, Belichick on Tuesday broke into a broad smile when Chaya Mayo, the four-year-old daughter of injured Patriots linebacker Gerard Mayo, axed New England's often stern head coach, what stuffed animals do you like? Leave it to the detail-conscious Belichick to provide an exact response. I like a little puppet that you can put your fingers in, Belichick said, a little monkey. Belichick then asked little Chaya, and she had her, her hair and her puffed, a lot of long, natural, thick hair. Uh, did your daddy fix your hair? And I, knowing white people's not so codified uh, obsession with our natural hair and of all of the stuffed animals, he, he talked about his favorite was a little monkey that he could stick his fingers up in. So I, I felt that uh, during this Super Bowl, she was she had her little job, and of course she would know um, what you know he was practicing at that point. Wow. Some sexual undertone wow. with that one. Wow. So it doesn't matter. Uh, older black people or, you know, white people have shown over the centuries that our children aren't adorable and little kids and all of that. They are victims of their racism. They are targets. doesn't matter the age. Animals. They have it on video if you guys want to check it out on uh, YouTube. I'm going to watch the game just to see if, uh, if the running back. This is not about the Super Bowl. We are on workplace races. <laughs> I had a few um, observations um, throughout the week. Um, speaking about, you know, the, the game, I had, um, I had one into a judge's office and, you know, uh, a conversation started about, I guess, the game coming up. And, you know, he said, uh, <laughs> like, white people, they always think, well, not always, but a healthy portion of them engage in this pattern where they will um, ask you what somebody's name is, and the person they're mm-hmm. talking about is a non-white, okay? Now, they, they know who the name is now. They want to see if you know. And I say, oh, you, um, you mean the guy that's been doing interviews? <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't say the name. He said, yeah, that guy, you know. Uh, and I just think that that team, the, the Seahawks, is a bunch of punks. He said the word punk. So mm. I say, well, you know, what do you mean? So I'm thinking, you know, that term punk, you know, is slash dog slash nigger. 
Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he says, you know, it's just I just don't I don't like the way they conduct themselves. And, you know, he's doing a crotch grabbing it. You know, he's going to all of these details and whatnot. And, um, you know, but he, he just seems so, you know, emphatic about, you know, just about just, I guess, Sherman and uh, Marshawn Lynch, I think. And now this is, they just, you know, they're just speaking, you know. And he's using the term, you know, punk. And the uh, judicial assistant female saying, like, she was uh, uncomfortable about how he was speaking. You know, it's a, you know, white woman or whatever. And, you know, and I just say, hey, well, so they said what they said. And we had to see how the game turned out. So, you know, I walk out, you know, at the office or whatever. Then it's this uh, white female judge. You know, she speaks and I speak. I say, you know, well, how's it going? And she says, oh, well, you know what? I'm on my way to, uh, to, to a, um, a middle school, you know. I'm like, huh? <laughs> and uh, she says she's going to to uh, check on her son. He, he keeps getting in trouble. You know, I mean, she just, you know, felt the need to tell me that, you know, because I'm thinking since these judges, they, you know, uh, projected to have this perfect image, you know, perfect family, you know, white equal perfect. And, you know, she said, uh, yeah, you know, he's just been, you know, going to these lunch detentions. And I'm like, well, wow, he, well, he, he just getting in some trouble here and there. So no, not just here and there. He's been showing up in court. <laughs> I mean, she just, she just getting real honest with it. So I'm like, oh well, well, I guess you better take care of it. <laughs> so you know, she leaves, and uh, you know, I found that a little interesting. Um, there's been a, a, a new. A new white female, um, she, I guess she noticed how, you know, the non-white females um, relate to me. I guess I could say that. And she, like, she knows what my name is, but it was interesting because <laughs> she she changed my name. She said, you know, this is what I'm going to call you. She she uh spelled out the word stud, S T U D, and finished the the rest of the syllables of my name. So she sexualized my name, basically. So, uh, so uh, I basically just kept on, you know, kept on going because there was supervisors around, and um, you know, so the person is new and it's a white person, so I barely get to see that person that much, so. I just stayed out of contact with her. So I'm like, man, did she just <laughs> did she just say stud, man? I'm like, and then see they try to say, you know, it's this oh, it's only about these old people from a different era, you know. And so yeah, you know, they the younger one bold with it too. And um one last thing, uh we were talking about I guess, you know, the new marriage license issue or um, update with the uh, same-sex marriage. And, you know, you know, white people, they, and they, they try to say black people the most homophobic, I guess, so-called. And then they were saying, oh, well, this, I just can't go 
down to Key West or whatever the city name is, or West Palm or something. And they talking about, you know, I went in this club and I just felt uncomfortable. And I walked out and the girl in there, his girlfriend, the young white guy, she says, oh, well, isn't it like uh, some other cities? And he says, yeah, it's like San Francisco. So that's the most liberal and, you know, uh, gay city out there. And uh, she says, really? Well, how would you say that? She said, and then the, the guy says, oh, yeah, you know, me and my father, uh, we took a, a trip over there or something. And he said, you know what? This place has so many faggots. You can you can throw a rock and wouldn't miss one. And, um, yeah, him and the other white male was basically talking about that and uh, their disagreement about it. So, yeah, that's that's uh, some of my observations. checking uh if you please don't wait till the last minute if you have things you want to make sure you uh get in if you uh have commentary on workplace racism i am hoping there's a black female uh dr sabrina taylor uh she was in a news report about within the last two weeks where uh she was detailing how she <clears throat> didn't get a position uh she was a college professor and uh college instructor and uh she was looking to get a promotion and she did not get the job, even though she was better qualified than the white woman who did get the job. And she filed a, uh, EEOC complaint and she got an attorney. They were going through all the channels and everything. Um, she comes to find out that her attorney had been, uh, secretly working against her and working with the Ooh. opposition to get her case thrown out and she didn't find out all of this until a decision had been rendered but now she's uh, submitting an appeal and you know alleging that her attorney was partner to uh, this fraud uh, that took place but uh, yes she had said she would be uh, she might be willing to share so she said she can't do uh, any uh, like audio videos because she has uh, litigation pending but she said she could send more details about her case and do like a written uh, thing so let's see if I can get some more details to see get in the weeds of what happened and then see if she'd be down to answer some questions but yeah you can check it online I think I Facebooked it and, and tweeted it but uh, I thought that was <laughs> the depths of what you're dealing with uh, on the job and workplace racism are astronomical Gus was the did she share if the attorney was white or non-white I, that's why I couldn't say because she didn't she didn't say that um, so you know that that would definitely be a bit of information that I would like but I don't think she uh, at least the report I read didn't specify whether her attorney was white or not did she say this um, when, when is she coming on or? she said since she has pending litigation she cannot do any audio uh, interviews but she said she would be uh, she might be down to send more information about her case and then she could do a written so like if I wrote her the questions via email and then she would reply back with the answers 
I have I have a um, commentary on what you just shared, um, Gus. My experience with the EEOC is that it's working to dismiss cases anyway. It's not trying to solve any any problems. At least that's been my experience with them. Um, what has stood out in my mind is when I try to file a complaint. Uh, about this white female on a job who was making considerably more money than me, although she liked the experience and education level. Then, but again, that's when I first find out found out that under this system, uh, white women are considered minorities. They have a photograph of uh, her attorney, uh, James D. Young. That's his name. To me, this is a white person. Uh, I could be in error, but I think this is a white person. Um, so yeah, that's what, that's what I thought. That's what I was, (laughs) that's what I was thinking. But yeah, he looks like a white person. Definitely. And Freddie Lee said the same thing. I think we've had quite a few guests who have, and listeners, uh, who've talked about how the EEOC is probably not going to be, uh, very helpful uh, in dealing with racism, white supremacy. Um, yeah, it's, uh, Freddie Lee, the the Chinese, Dude mm. that came on. Right. Yes, sir. Okay. Okay. <laughs> she says the disciplinary council of Pennsylvania Supreme Court found a violation after uh, James Taylor accused her after Sabrina, excuse me, Dr. Sabrina Taylor accused her own attorney, James D. Young, of conspiring with Harrisburg Area Community College to get her race discrimination case number dismissed in the United States District Court for the Middle District of Pennsylvania. In Taylor's appeal, she claimed an illegal scheme of fraud was exercised on the Middle District Court of Pennsylvania after the equal EEOC in the Philadelphia District Court, Philadelphia District Office found cause to believe discrimination occurred and subsequently referred the case to the Department of Justice in Washington, D.C., for review when taken before the third circuit court of appeals and uh, the court did not agree with the community college's assertion that the complaint was frivolous. Rather the court encouraged Taylor to take the matter back to the lower court. Um, The disciplinary council of Pennsylvania uh, took action against attorney young who practices law with the JSDC law office in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Young was the subject of an 11 month investigation were actively and deceptively misleading Taylor into believing that he was responding to the summary judgment filed against her. Young's alleged deception resulted in Taylor's case of race discrimination to be dismissed by a federal judge in January of 2013 because she allegedly did not provide evidence to support her claim. Uh, The facts were not supported because my attorney concealed my response to the summary judgment. Taylor said I prepared my response and put in along with a litany of physical evidence into his care, but he filed none of it while leading me to believe he had filed it all. Uh, This all is still pending. But again, as I said, this is uh, this is not accidental. This is not white ignorance. This is deliberate, purposeful methodical uh, on their part they know what they're doing and they there's one team one race the white race you're paying your attorney and he's working with the other side to i mean yeah i'm hoping she uh can get me more details because i would love to uh write this up so more people know about this 
Yeah, that's how she found out he, he did it. So I was wondering how she found out he did it. She just looked at the at the paperwork on him, found out what he didn't submit. Okay. Got it. Gus, do you know if she was trying to apply for an assistant or associate professorship? Uh, let's see. She... It says in 2006, Taylor, who was a 14-year veteran employee at Harrisburg Area Community College, filed charges alleging she was passed over for a position for vice president at the college. According to case number oh. blah, 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 although the court, uh, court records confirm that within the selection process, she scored 100 points more than the Caucasian candidate who was offered the position, uh, who is Dr. Edna V. Bayer, president of HACC at the time, appointed Nancy Rocky to the chair search. Uh, one Caucasian witness proved, provided a sworn statement alleging that Rocky actively attempted to derail uh, Dr. Taylor, the black female's candidacy, but the whistleblower was allegedly called to Bayer's office and verbally threatened. The whistleblower later filed a retaliation suit against Bayer, uh, and the college settled the claim after dispositions uh, depositions were given. Hmm. Her claim got settled, huh? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Mm -hmm. See, I, that's why I said I was hoping, you know, to make do if she can get me the uh, documents. I definitely would write this up because this is like, wow. <laughs> like, uh, wowee. And again, there are consequences if you are a white person. That's the same thing I told uh, K.J. Delantonio. If you're white, you're seeing white people practice racism all the time. You're hearing their chicken nugget jokes and, and what have you. You're seeing this where they're, mm -hmm. you know, getting a black candidate who is super qualified. Nah, we don't want that nigger next. Uh, you're seeing this all the time. If you're not doing anything, you are guilty, too, just like with any other crime. You sit around and watch Jerry Sandusky raping 11-year-olds and you don't report. You are guilty, too. Same logic. Right. Mm -hmm. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, speaking of, um, you know, pedophilic, it sounded like what Bilicek said um, was a little pedophilic. You know, he wanted to stick his fingers in the monkey. But he's talking to a little black girl, you know, it just sounded a little pedophilic to me. Um, I had a workplace incident, um, you know, that happened yesterday, other than the McDonald's one, this one was, you know, um, you know, it was a little odd. Um, just to give a little context, I have a white partner who um, started at my job around nine months ago. And um, in the time he's been there, I probably spoke to him twice. And I work at the receptionist desk, so he passes me every day. Pass me every, t every time he's going to the bathroom, he has to pass my desk, whatever. You know, he doesn't speak to me. I don't speak to him. Doesn't act like I exist. I don't act like he exists. Um, and um, yesterday, um, I had, you know, throughout the time when everyone leaves, I stay late, but everyone else is leaving. Um, he's waiting by my desk, so someone says he's looking for me. So I'm like, he's looking for me? For what? So I'm thinking, you know, maybe... You need someone to call a cab for him or something, you know, or, you know, my job is hospitality. Maybe he wants me to order some food or something. But as I'm approaching him, I see him. He has his suitcase. He has his top coat on, so it looks like he's leaving. So I'm like, all right, he wants me to call a cab. Maybe a secretary left already. But 
when I get there, he's like, hey, bro, like, you know, big smile on his face, call me, bro. So I said, hey, what's going on? And he's like, hey, guess where I'm going to be watching the Super Bowl at? So I said, I don't know. So he said, I'm, a, I'm on my way to Florida now, and I'm going to be chilling with 50. So his um, client is on um, 50 Cent. Cool. And um, he's representing him in a case that has to do with um, 50's headphone line and um, some copyright issues, I guess. Someone suing 50, saying that he's copied his, he copied their design. Either way, you know, that was the, the gist of the conversation. But this guy who never speaks to me, he waits for me for about 20 minutes just to tell me he's going to be watching the Super Bowl with 50 Cent. I guess he thought that was something you had to share with the black guy. So um, that was that was my incident. Um, sir, it didn't bother you that he called you bro? Of course it did, but, you know, he's a partner. I mean, I'm not going to say anything that's... Um, and someone who I don't deal with and I, I've already um, concluded is a racist based off of um, his treatment of non-white um, attorneys, not not black attorneys, but non-white. Uh, he calls them his minions, um, you know, Asian and um, Indian fella. Um and um, he brought one of these guys in with him as a, um, he came in as a partner, so he was able to bring in his own lawyer. And this guy um, was freezing in his office. And um, the main thermostat over there is in this partner's office. So I told him, listen, let me adjust the thermostat. And he said, no, let him freeze to death, you know. And he, was, he would not let me touch the thermostat in his office um, at all, you know, so... He already, uh, already concluded he's a racist. Of course, it bothered me, but I'm not in a position where I'm going to say, hey, don't call me bro, you know, to this person who, in my mind, if I offend him, he'll definitely cost me my job. And I also, um, Gus wrote the one I wrote earlier about the McDonald's incident. I've been watching a lot of commercials on TV where it's like people talking to a McDonald's sign um, and they're, you know, what's in your food? You know, what's that pink slime and all this, this stuff? I don't know if anyone else has um, seen these commercials, but they're like accusing McDonald's. It looks like one of the cigarette commercials out there. They're going after the big tobacco companies. Um, is where they're pointing out all the GMO stuff and McDonald's food and all of that. And I wonder if that had to do with this, um, there was a black guy as the CEO all this time, like, you know, now the advocacy groups and everything went after McDonald's. And this was their way of probably um, now they'll lay off because they got rid of the black guy. I mean, I'm, you know, you, I never put nothing past them, but um, I, I just found that it was real strange how all of a sudden all these, commercials about McDonald's um, food being unreal were just on um, major major networks. They did a report. I believe I posted after uh, Bruce Fine mentioned uh, the thing this past week about McDonald's. Uh, the Wall Street Journal, they did a written report and then they had a video component that went with it. And uh, I mean, methodical, right? They had a graph and it showed from the time that this black male was in 
quote unquote in charge at McDonald's, it was like immediately as soon as he came in the office, everything started going down. Like uh, it was, it was. I mean, it was just massive. Like one of those shifts that you never get in a graph. Where like immediately the day he walked in the door in this job, everything just went you know horrible. Uh, but when they were talking about the report, they were saying uh, that almost sounded like. I'm talking about President Obama. They were like, at the time that he came in, things were already going bad. <laughs> like, uh, we already planned to put him in this spot where we know it's going to be terrible. And they were talking about all the things, like you were saying, the commercials, and they've been getting all this publicity for uh, poor treatment of uh, their workers and the pink slime and people trying to eat healthier. And then all these newer restaurants, Chipotle and blah, blah, blah. And people trying to be more conscious about what they eat. So they were saying all of this stuff had been happening. And at the time that he took the they knew that this was going to be uh, difficult and then they blamed him just like with President Obama they blamed him for not being aggressive enough that was the word that they uh, they used he wasn't aggressive enough in trying to get this problem solved as though this is a world set up for aggressive black people Uh, and then they talked about you know how they thought this this new white guy who is uh, British so they say how he will be able to uh, perform in this job Yeah, I was just going to say the British guy may be able to sell that garbage. (laughs) You know, say that because, you know, if you're trying to improve on stuff, and, you know, unfortunately we never know what he was dealing with as a CEO because, you know, he has a board that he has an answer to. And, um, you know, the things, you know how sometimes, I mean, just like President Obama, things you're trying to do, and here Congress is blocking, you know, blocking, deliberately blocking some of the stuff you trying to do, and I'm not sitting up here trying to defend President Obama, so I hope y'all understand what I'm saying. And so, like you say, then all this stuff comes out as, as he takes over the reins. But, you know, I just, I feel a lot of it is just McDonald's quality of food, and people are, uh, be rising up and no, you know, not speaking. I mean, excuse me, rising up, and they're not eating at McDonald's as much as they used to. And I, I push myself. I think that was a very big problem. And then, like you say, with the workers, you know, you know, saying that they want more money. So, it, either way, like you say, it's just a mess, and we know it is racism because when this guy come in, it's going to be like heaven. That's quote place racism. I'm through. Well, uh, we have done our three hours, and uh, we should be back tomorrow. Again, Dr. Francis Cress-Welsing, visiting live with the kickoff for the big game. Uh, We'll be grand to get her thoughts. Uh, Maybe we'll see if she's in the know about the McDonald's situation. Um, Definitely American Sniper. I want to hear thoughts on that as well as all of uh, the hoopla over these uh, ball games. Um, Pretty much every segment that I have seen thus far, uh, it's been just tons and tons of focus on uh, black male genitalia uh, with Marshawn Lynch. And I'm sure she, you know, Dr. Welsing, uh, she knows what that is all about, but that should be tomorrow. Chime in if you have questions, comments. Uh, Looking forward to hearing from Dr. Welsing. Uh, We also should be here on Monday. Uh, whites have been drawing a lot of attention to South Carolina 
Rock Hill, South Carolina specifically, where uh, I think it's called the Friendship Nine, where they, there's a group of black people, they had been protesting uh, white supremacy and uh, they were arrested and they did not post bail. They went ahead and served their uh, time in greater confinement and uh, they are going to vacate those convictions uh, they just decided of these uh, nine folks. I think almost all of them are still alive. I think it might be one out of the nine passed away, but uh, they did the supporters in the New York Times. It's everywhere. Uh, they were talking about this. And within all that, they were talking to this one black male uh, who is with the NAACP, or he used to be uh, the local branch in South Carolina. And he was like, you know, we have still got a whole lot of racism. And these whites are going around and trying to pass out some award and vacate something that happened 50 years ago and act like everything is all good and we don't have any more problems with racism. And that is just nonsense. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the gist of what he said. He's quoted as uh, having stated in the New York Times. uh, And I contacted him via uh, the phone and he reiterated uh, what I just paraphrased for you uh, with uh, greater context about specific things that are happening uh, in South Carolina, but he should be with us on Monday uh, to discuss what happened, as well as the case, the the conviction that they also just overturned of uh, the 14-year-old black male, uh, first, I think, the, the youngest person ever to be executed. That was also in South Carolina, uh, young Stingley. Um, they, uh, he was talking about that case as well on how they're doing the same thing to try to blow these cases up from years and years ago, as opposed to improving the quality of life for black people that are alive right now uh, in residence in South Carolina. Uh, but he'll, he will be here on Monday. Uh, if folks have any confusion, comments, questions, uh, trying to find something in the archives, uh, drop an email until justice at gmail.com. Twitter works as well at until justice. Uh, I'll post that report. If you all want to get more information about, uh, Dr. Sabrina Taylor, the black female where her own white attorney was conspiring against her uh, definitely worth uh, a read might want to file that one away under uh, workplace racism uh, definitely stay safe if folks are doing any sort of um, Super Bowl parties or any other you know forcing around uh, over the weekend remain codified uh, it's still one of the worst decisions you can make uh, to be intoxicated and behind the wheel of a vehicle uh, definitely want to be safe sobriety would be best under conditions of war If you got to consume, again, just get to one spot. Stay there. You do not want to have any contact with an armed, trained killer while you are not in your lucid, correct thinking mind. Sobriety would be best under conditions of war. Uh, That said, Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves help us to manifest maximum levels of black self-respect at all times in all places all areas of people activity and each and every time we are in contact with another black person it has been time replace white supremacy with justice as soon as possible context of white supremacy signing up. Thanks all for tuning in. I'm a victim, What's brother. Your problem? You're a victim. Yeah. I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.